This week on the Bloody Bits Horror Show, we teach the computer to be made crazy by the flesh as we discuss the 1986 David Cronenberg classic, The Fly. Hello and welcome to... Appreciation Month. Yes. The shortest month of the year. That's why we picked it. (laughs) (laughs) The shortest (laughs) month of the year. And of course, the very first episode of Letting the Patreons Pick. Who better, who else to invite on than the very first Patreon, Faustus? Hey, guys. Welcome, Faustus. Always fun having you on. I know I can just sit back. I don't have to talk for an hour and a half. (laughs) Because I'm so good at talking too much, eh, Tim? Uh, no, you're a fount of information. <laughs> you're never boring when you're on, and everybody's just, we're all going to learn something about this movie that we've never heard before, so... Well, I hope so. Uh, I dug in a fair amount, and I, I think we'll have some things to say. Mm-hmm. So, Faustus, when I asked for your request for this month, I, I reached out to you because, of course, I mean, you, you're the first Patreon. Some of our, some of the most fun I've had on episodes has been with you. Um, you suggested, well, The Fly. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Well, first of all, we're doing, it seems like we're, we're churning our way through David Cronenberg's uh, catalog <laughs> here. Because in the past, yes. we, we've done Videodrome. And we've done Rabbit. And I was thinking about what to do. We had discussed a different movie, but it was sort of, it felt sort of too bleak to me uh, at the time because it's February and here we are and we're like deep into the, nearing the second year of, you know, COVID time and we're Mm -hmm. all stuck. And I felt like something that paradoxically almost felt like sort of comfort, movie comfort food. Um, the fly which is something that we've been watching for a long time and it's kind of odd that one should describe it that way because it's it's originally such a gross out movie but at the same yes. time it feels like it feels very familiar uh and something like it would just be lots of fun to do uh mm-hmm. because there are you know there are any number of reasons why that might be so i guess partly just because the two stars of this movie Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum are so they're so attractive and they're so charismatic. Oh uh, my god, their chemistry is They do so well on the screen together. This is their peak, right? I probably mm-hmm. about there, yeah. Uh and they're also you know what can I say? They just they work they work really well. The third the third part is a really talented character actor. And the movie, mm-hmm. I guess, if you think about Cronenberg and his sort of set of works, you you might think of them as there's kind of a spectrum from ones that are really quite hard to understand. Uh, you know, if you look at Naked Lunch or Existence, uh, to some degree, maybe even um, Videodrome, like, you know, very weird, very challenging. There are others that are a lot more accessible. Uh, maybe The Dead Zone is an example of a highly accessible Cronenberg movie or Eastern Promises. 
which has, you know, unusually for a Cronenberg movie, an actual redemption arc for its main character. Yeah. I guess the fly is a little close to the accessible side. Uh, probably it's, yeah. his most commercial. Yep. And probably the one that, if you said David Cronenberg, this is the one that everybody's going to think of. I think even before they think of Dead Zone, because the Dead Zone isn't really a Cronenberg movie. No, it's like a Stephen King. Movie. Yeah, he got hired to do that, and I don't know what he maybe funded something else to do it, but this is probably the one, if you say David Cronenberg, this is the one that the most people who aren't like movie buffs are going to know. I think that's certainly right. Uh, and I also think it's going to be, it's also successful probably because, like, it has an accessible kind of structure, right? The love triangle is mm -hmm. a very familiar structure. And the supposed sort of mythic structure of the movie, you know, the fly too high to the sun kind of mad scientist gets his comeuppance thing is also. Uh, a fairly common kind of structure that people will readily assimilate. They they will readily sort of assimilate material that's put together that way. Uh, there's a question I'm going to raise at the, at the end of the podcast about whether that's really the right structure to analyze it in, but it's certainly there, and it certainly makes it easier for people to um, digest, I suppose. Um, oh. <laughs> and uh, look at you. <laughs> So uh, we have, we certainly have that. So that was sort of why you know, I just felt I wanted to do something that would not be too challenging, too difficult, but which would nonetheless be something that we could really, you know, we could really enjoy. And that the fly seemed like the obvious way to go here. I think it's a perfect fit because I think it's something that you just sit down and you could watch it with popcorn, and then you can just sit down and really fucking break it down and analyze it till there's no tomorrow. It's mm -hmm. it's a great fucking movie, mm -hmm. great pick. I think it's one that is very, it seems very simple on the surface and it's very mm -hmm. easy to pick up and enjoy. But I think, I think one of the reasons why it resonates and why it holds up so well in, in my mind is because it really is maybe what in, in some of Cronenberg's uh, earlier efforts he failed to, to execute upon. I think there's a crystallization of uh, the, the discussion about disease and technology meeting with uh, what it is to be human mm -hmm. um, that 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 this really encapsulates and and it's so funny given the uh, the troubled beginnings of the movie uh, <laughs> that this would this would kind of he would knock it out of the park the way that he did mm -hmm. with this sure yeah. so I guess uh, you want a little I have a little background uh, historically. I mean, this, this movie is based on a story written by a Belgian journalist named George Langelan. Mm -hmm. uh, it was originally published, the story was originally published in English in Playboy mm -hmm. uh, in 1957. 20th Century Fox, with Kurt Newman uh, at the head of this particular project, acquired it for the, the rights for it for a movie uh, the very, that very year, and a movie came out the very next year. Uh, the original story was actually fairly bleak, uh, it structured as an investigation after the fact into the mysterious death under a steam hammer of a scientist, apparently at the hands of his wife. Ah, that um, would have been an interesting way to do yep. it. Yep. Yeah, so like the, the theory that the death of the protagonist starts the movie, or individual, the story and the movie. Um, and the original story is also bleak because you know, in the course of that story, I'm not, I don't feel bad about spoiling it because not many people, I think, could readily read it. Um, I, I am going through my, my old Playboy collection, so yeah. <laughs> All the way back to 1957? Um, uh, no. <laughs> and anyway, you know, the wife commits suicide in an insane asylum. Uh, in the 1958 version, the story gets Americanized and to some degree Hollywoodized. Uh, it's mm -hmm. still structured in the same way with the, the scientists 
inventing a matter transportation technology that goes horribly wrong when he fuses himself with a fly that gets into the thing. But the story has been moved to Montreal, which I guess is a less alien environment than France, and also an excuse to have the characters speak English. And, of course, the beautiful wife is saved from you know, either life in an insane asylum or death by hanging by the heroic efforts of her brother-in-law, who's played by Vincent Price. Um, and the movie has certainly has some merits. It clearly had a much bigger budget than most 1950s sci-fi efforts. It was shot in Technicolor. It looks really good. The scientist's mad science lab has some pretty cool-looking equipment in and it. And it's probably one of the most famous, like, 1950s horror movie, too. I think it probably is, and it's spun mm -hmm. off to... It's also, also, it's got Vincent Price in it, right? So you'll yeah, well, watch it, because you'll watch anything with Vincent Price in it, or at least course, I will, yeah. right? You know, he's he's terrific, and, you know, so we'll, we'll always do that. There are some genuinely eerie moments in the movie, uh, like, you know, the moment where the mad scientist vaporizes the cat, uh, but not quite completely. Uh... <laughs> So, you know, it certainly stands out about its peers, maybe not among movies generally. And so, you know, it's worth a watch, and it's interesting to watch in the context of Cronenberg's effort, which he reworked a lot. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, and we say, you know, I've already gone over, like, you know, it has a different structure. It has two charismatic stars. And i just like to say that the, the triangle that they fit out is filled out by John Getz, uh, yes. an immensely talented actor. Listeners to this podcast... I think we'd probably recognize him as Ray the Bartender from Blood Simple. Ah, that's the first thing I mm -hmm. ever saw him in was mm -hmm. Blood Simple, yeah. Oh, boy. You know, and then what, I think it, he had some TV show on where he was a cop. With quite his, positive, yep. Pretty sure, because I think that was like the next thing I saw him. I was like, wait, the guy from Blood Simple is doing a TV show. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's astonishing. And he's a creepy villain who does a hero turn at the end. And it's striking the extent to which this has been written very, very compactly. These three characters dominate the movie, and it doesn't feel like a small-scale theatrical performance in any way, but I actually timed it on second watch and I realized that we got into the movie 49 minutes. 49 minutes into a 95-minute movie before anyone mm -hmm. other than these three, these, these three actors got a single line. Wow. So, yeah. you know, that's well, tight, right? That's how great... Yeah, and you don't even fucking notice that until you just said that. We were almost 50 fucking minutes into a movie before other people are even talking. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yep. even then, it's not too much. No, it's very that, little. Uh, that is one thing I will say with Cronenberg's films in, in particular is he has an economy of filmmaking. Everything he puts out in the horror spectrum specifically, it, it averages around 90 minutes. And, and But it's so packed. It's so dense with content. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah. Right, phenomenal, and, and everything is used for content. The movie, the set design, yes. the art design—it's everything. Everything fits together oh. to, to pack it in. Um, the score for this, oh man, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll get to a that. Great director. Yeah, we'll get to that as we as, as we go through. I'm sure. Um, there's also very salient body horror. We could have easily done this in the body horror month as a, as an example yeah. of a movie. Yeah. Um, and it does seem like a, a sort of sense of a version of my thesis that body horror is human life fast forwarded into less than two hours. Um, because you see Seth Brundle just sort of fall apart with like losing his teeth and right. he smells bad and his skin goes wrong. Uh, you know, he gets old. Uh, in one of the interviews, Cronenberg said as much too, because they asked him if this was specifically because of its timing and in the way that he deteriorates, mm -hmm. um, Seth Brundle, if it was, uh, AIDS 
crisis related and he never really answered it specifically but he said um as far as the makeup effects go i wanted it to appear that uh jeff goldblum was aging very rapidly mm -hmm. i think what he says is that if you know somebody who has aids it's an aid story but what he intended was really to be about like disease and aging which is something that affects yeah. everybody yeah so one of my favorite quotes is, is uh, a true art is a question mark and not an exclamation point. <laughs> Ex <laughs> um, I got to say, you know, again, just to emphasize, you know, that the two leads are exceptionally well matched. One thing I didn't I forgot oh. to note, but what I have in my notes here is that they're also very well matched in terms of height. Um, yep. Because Jeff Goldblum yep. is like six foot four or more. Uh, and he would tower over most of his uh, other actresses. But Gina Davis is herself six feet tall. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they match well in that respect as well. And I'll mm -hmm. I'll throw in just a little plug for a, a sentimental favorite here. If you ever want to see Goldblum and Davis in a romantic context not marred by horrible tragedy, yeah. uh, <laughs> go try Earth Girls Are Easy. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yes. <laughs> that's a great movie for a rainy Sunday afternoon. You need to cheer mm -hmm. up. So, mm -hmm. so we have that. Uh, though That's sort of the background I, I have. There are a couple of other cast members in this movie who I think are yeah, worth mentioning, but we'll probably can we mention them when we get to them because they're they'll be fun. Of Certainly. Um, so, uh, Eddie, you said you also had you said it had background on like how hard this movie was to make. Yeah. So the the production of this was, was man, did they have some issues? Um, constant rewrites, repeated rewrites to 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 the degree where. Uh, by the time Cronenberg, because he was actually working on an adaptation of Total Recall at the time, yeah, I read that. Yeah, yeah, that that, that uh, ended up failing, and uh, by by the time that that Cronenberg was able to to fully commit to it, uh, Charles Pogue had had done the original uh, writings of the screenplay, and even though Cronenberg had came in and he rewrote uh, much of the script and the characters, he insisted. That Charles Pogue have a the one of the writing credits on this. He always seems like a stand up guy. He doesn't look like he's one of those guys who's like an asshole director or that he's no, like gonna no, no, like no. do something like that where he's gonna take credit for somebody else's work. So hats off to him for that. That's a pretty good move. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh I think that that's about it for me for for uh kind of the way that the, the production was troubled. I mean, they had a couple of other people that they wanted to direct it, but because of their, uh, you know, specifically one of them had, had, that was suffered a death in the family and, and uh, kind of went away from directing uh, after that. Um, but but that, that's, that's about it for me. So do we want to dive into the plasma pool here? <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably should. Okay. Comment, can I make a comment? Opening music, because the first thing we see before we even see anything on the screen, Howard mm -hmm. Shore, yep. who basically writes all scores for all Cronenberg movies. Phenomenal. Unbelievable. Phenomenal. The, here's the, and the it's heading so, of my notes. The Fly. Great fucking music. What a setup. What yeah. I saw is, this is so different. Like He does the score for Videodrome, right? I have it. Yes. Um, and it's like, it's, it's stark and modernistic Videodrome is. And then mm -hmm. we, see, we, we see the opening of this movie. There are six opening chords. And it, I feel like I'm about to see the curtain go up on a performance of Turin Dote. This is early 20th century <laughs> romanticism. This is movie music taken to a high power. Um, of course. And 
it's a it's amazing and it continues like very well all the way through the score like it really under it really gives us a powerful emotional sense to the movie and it also gives me an opportunity for a trivia footnote uh okay which is that unlike any other movie that i've ever podcast that i know of the fly has been made into an opera yes howard shore uh made wrote an opera not really based on the scoring for the movie i've seen a little of it um but it, you know, it, it's actually very modernistic. It feels like it feels like Wozzeck or something like that. I can't find a score of it so far. Uh, I have found some clips of it on YouTube, including the first thirty minutes of a, a German production. Um, mm -hmm. But it was commissioned by the Théâtre de Châtelet in Paris. It debuted in Paris in July two thousand eight, with a subsequent debut in Los Angeles. The libretto for the opera was by someone named David Henry Huang. Uh, who would in turn write both the play for M. Butterfly and the screenplay yes. for Cronenberg's Firm, which gets to bring us back around full circle to Giacomo Puccini here. Uh, mm -hmm. Culture is Damn. really weird. <laughs> and, uh, the first and last bar yep. music on the soundtrack. Yep. What are they taken from? Well, Puccini's Madame Butterfly. Right. Yeah. So there we are. So you comic book movie fans, how many of your movies have been made into operas, eh? There you go. Next time somebody reads <laughs> Avengers is an opera. I don't think so. Books? Yeah. No. Well, Spider Man, right? He, he was a, he was that, a Broadway, well, that's a Broadway, Broadway show. That's not yeah. an opera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm teasing. <laughs> you know what's funny though? It's it's interesting that you mention um, superhero and comic book uh, because after this is to a point, this is almost Spider Man, right? We we have the yeah. uh, science experiments gone awry, right? And what happens is he, well, we'll get to it, but I have a theory about that. Anyhow, sorry. We open at a party. Yep. Celebration. A, conf you know? a conference. But with, yeah. with drinks and aperitifs and you know, People trays. People are what that was, right? Yep. yep. The Bartok mm. Industries Scientific Conference. Um, mm-hmm. Un unclear why he took the name Bartok for it, but there we go. Uh, yep. And Sometimes Seth Brun Seth Brundle, our our would be scientist hero, played by Jeff Goldblum, is talking up uh, Veronica Quaife, uh, yep. a science journalist of some kind. Veronica is, of course, played by Gina Davis. Does um, he know that she's a journalist at that point, or no. does he think that no. she's just some woman that's there at the conference? He he. Uh, so later on, he he does state that he did not know that she was a yeah. journalist. Otherwise, he wouldn't have shown her mm -hmm. what he shows her. But, but yeah, he he's just laying down some game, man. He's just trying to trying to chat up the ladies, and he's, uh, he's not Jeff very Goldblum. good at it. No, he's, he's Jeff Goldblumming it. Yeah, <laughs> which is weird, but yeah, you know, there it is. I should note, by the way, Seth Brundle. The name Brundle was taken from the name of a race car driver, um, mm -hmm. Martin Brundle. Who is like a British Formula One champion? Uh, this is according to Cronenberg himself on commentary. Quaif, yeah. not so sure, but there is a UK company uh, called RT Quaif Engineering Limited that makes motorcycle gear kits. That makes sense. And uh, when you look at the pods. Cronenberg, mm -hmm. yes, we'll get to that. Cronenberg, yeah. um, Cronenberg is a big motorcycle guy. Uh, oh, we, yeah. we discussed this when we discussed Rabbit, uh, mm -hmm. where motorcycling is a sort of central to the plot. Uh, and he loves motorcycles. And when we get to, we'll discuss, we can discuss where these pods mm. come from when we get to there. Yeah. But at any rate, we're back at the party. 
And Brundle is saying, I've got something that will change the world for real. Oh, and I love Veronica's line of like, I mean, but by how much? Because you right. could change the world very little or a lot. Yep. Yeah, like a segue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, very true. It's, uh, and, and, you know, everybody, like, I've, I've listened to so many people speak about this movie and seen so many reviews of it. And they always talk about Goldblum's performance specifically. But Gina Davis's performance in this is phenomenal. It, it, it's so much of this movie hinges on hinges, the, the performance of these two characters. It hinges 100% on her. Yeah. She yeah. really carries a load for this fucking movie. She, yeah. I, she, I couldn't believe I saw this movie, this is actually the second time I've ever seen this movie. I saw oh, wow. it when it first came out in the movie theaters, and then I saw it this week. Huh. What's your history with seeing it, Faustus? Uh, I think I saw it when it came out. I saw it on video a couple of times, then I watched it probably three or four times this week uh, as part of the research. Mm. I mean, not, not the same thing, like I'm watching for commentary tracks and so on, but yeah. uh, to, yeah. to try to pick up what I can. So Okay. Nice. You know, I yeah, I saw it when I was far too young. So. <laughs> yeah, I saw it when I was far too young and too high probably yep. to enjoy it, to understand. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he invites her. Uh, he says, look, I have an invention that's going to change the world. She's, you know, a, a bit reticent to, uh, to join in. I'll make you a but... cappuccino. Espresso. Oh, yeah. No, he has the espresso, espresso machine. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which back it's then, the that real must have been some too. fucking big dick energy. Yep. Oh, yeah. But it's not even a plastic one, Tim. It's one of the metal ones with the eagle on the top, like they have at the restaurants. Uh, yeah. Freedom Espresso. <laughs> when, and... when he makes cappuccino, the lights go dim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he turns the power out on the entire grid. Uh, so, yeah, no, it, it's... We go back to uh, his his lab, but on the way... He uh, has a bit of uh, nausea, and he mentions this, you know, because she, uh, um, Veronica points out, uh, oh, you know, you must not be very good at handling your alcohol. And he says, no, no, that's not the case. I actually have uh, motion sickness problems. I hate uh, vehicles. I, a, mm -hmm, I hate vehicles. I get nauseous. And uh, when I was a child, in fact, I threw up on my tricycle. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Yep. So... All right. Fun little aside. Not the worst thing a kid could do on a tricycle, though. No, no, definitely not. Uh, you could uh, fall off, uh, split the uprights, as I like to call it, and, and uh, oof. Sing been there, done that. for the rest of your life. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep. So no, we, then we uh, go to his lab, and uh, it's such a Cronenberg look to this film immediately, because it's we were nighttime. It's winter feeling. It's cold. It's a very industrial look, you know. He's got On the a, outside? It's basically a, a rehabbed warehouse, or partly mm -hmm. partly rehabbed warehouse. I, I got to yeah. say, I thought, when the first time I saw this, and to this day, I think that is so cool. I love it. <laughs> it yeah. is I love that idea. But my, my wife would kill me if I tried to make it happen, but I would so love to have a warehouse to rehab. Uh. So my wife and I have discussed in a very serious manner, um, once, once the children uh, have, have grown and moved out, we would love to purchase an abandoned missile silo and rehabilitate that into our living quarters. Uh, We're going to see Eddie on the Discovery Channel. You will? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. It's, I don't know. And now I'm He'll used to less, working. the least prepped prepper. 
<laughs> well, it's not about prepping. I don't care about that. It's the aesthetic purely. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, and especially working in, in government facilities uh, that a lot of them were probably built during the Cold War. <laughs> um, I don't know. I've, I've grown to appreciate how the look and, and the feel of it. Everything is very uh, purposeful and intentional and uh, built to last forever. So. Yes. Much like this warehouse. So we walk in to the warehouse and uh, we turn the lights on. Isn't it kind of crazy that Gina says, Davis just goes home with this guy, first night she meets him, and this is where he uh, drives her, and she now, actually gets out of the car and goes inside? Remember, she's a reporter, Tim. Uh, still. Uh, all right, so she should have her antenna going up. I'm like, it's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's Jeff Goldblum, though. He's very charming. But not at this point. He is not charming at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love that, that they walk... And, and there's a there's a comment that's made about how well it's you know it's dirty. He says, don't worry, it's a lot of it's clean cleaner it's than inside. It's clean on the inside. I had that written down too. I thought that mm-hmm. was an interesting line. Mostly. So we walk in, we turn the lights on, and immediately he just runs over to a piano and starts playing. He plays a piano in real life, right? Because yes, yes, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum is a very He's a very talented musician, mm-hmm. uh, among other things that he is, uh, and that's actually him playing. Yeah, and it's implied that he's actually a very—he's actually a talented, possibly even a virtuoso level pianist by looking at the music that's sitting uh, on his on the piano, um, with the Peters editions of Bach and Beethoven and so forth. Yeah, like those yeah. are expensive editions, guys. You don't buy those unless you're like a serious piano student. So. Oh, I see. This is why we have you on, Faustus, because even me with my eye for detail, how the hell would I have ever known that? I, the only if answer he, was he had Beethoven on the fucking piano. Well, if you've been a piano student, it would be something you'd probably pick up on. Uh, so, but there's also interesting, like there's an interesting sound thing in the background, which I noticed as well, which is just a tiny tribute to the original movie. Um, when you go to the factory in the original 1958 movie, you hear in the background the sound of trains, particularly mm-hmm. steam engines moving freights. And when you hear it in the same in this movie, and the first time you, you show up in the laboratory, you hear the sound. Oh, you yes. see the hounds of freight trains going by as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't catch that. Huh. So tiny tribute uh, to the original. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, uh, and they do also have the "Help Me" line in here, but it's played quite differently. Yep, uh, <laughs> <laughs> slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, go in, and uh, he's still, you know, laying down the game, trying to hit on her, and. Kind of working, kind of not. And he he gives her the line of, uh, "Well, you know, you can't you can't leave now. You've already seen too much. I'd have to kill you." And she's you know a bit like, "What? What are you talking about? I haven't really seen anything other than a weird person do a uh, uh, like at one of the silent films play <laughs> play with dramatic effect and, and score um, our interaction right mm-hmm. now." Kind of awkward, but, you know, charming in its own way, I suppose. And so he shows her his machines, the telepods. Oh, look, designer phone booths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, apparently, these really were like phone booths in the original version. Both in the old original movie, you can see they're yeah. kind of like plexiglass phone booths. They are in the script as well. And Cronenberg in the commentary said, you know, I wasn't satisfied with this, so I took Carol Spear. Carol Spear is his 
art director on a lot of these movies, to my garage and look for something to make these telepods look like. And they immediately focused on the cylinder assembly of one of Cronenberg's Ducati motorcycles. Yep, mm -hmm. yep, that's exactly uh, what it looks like. And in fact, if you look up Ducati singles in Wikipedia, you can actually see from these motorcycles that that is in fact exactly the design that they used, except they blew it up to the size of a, a phone booth yeah. or something. So. And, and it looks it is, really cool. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so simple too. It's not overly done. It's just no. <clears throat> the case that we see and just a light inside of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got the. It's almost got an aesthetic like Alien or an H.R. Geiger inspired yeah, aesthetic. Yeah, I can see that. You know, uh, and and you know with uh, wires connecting the two pods, and so she uh, well, she turns three to pods. this. Well, there are three pods. Let's never forget. Because she turns and says, well, what's this over here? And he's like, oh, that's the... Is that your jukebox? Yeah, the jukebox. He's like, no, nah, that's the original pod. It's uh, clunky. It doesn't work as well. Let's just forget about that. It gets a job done, but it's clunky. Yes. Mm -hmm. what it says. Mm -hmm. So he asks her um, for a personal effect. It could be anything. A piece of clothing or jewelry. And here's where we get into um, a large theme that'll run for at least the first act and a half of this, Cronenberg and sex. Uh, <laughs> he uh, uh, does not shy away from it at all because old uh, Veronica, while well, she reaches down, first you think maybe she's taking her shoe off, yep. but no, she <laughs> takes off her stocking. And uh, he gives it to her. And it's her panties so she... in the screenplay. Oh, it... interesting. So I, well, yeah, know, I gotta wonder it whether it does make more sense with that. That she, yep. in the originally it could have been panties because yep. other than yeah. that, why not give the shoe? Yeah, I sort of feel like maybe the suit stepped in here and said that's a little too much. But yeah. no, no. <laughs> and uh, so she she gives him the stocking, and he he looks at the label and looks back up and says, "Oh, nice," you know. How does he know? Um, I, look, man, we all have our interests, Tim. Okay, maybe he's uh, into fashion. You don't know, or maybe he just has some needs something to say, and that's an obvious thing to say. That's true, and yeah. it feels yeah. nice, and it's probably still warm. Yeah. So he takes it, goes over, sets it down in the little plate, the illuminated plate oh, okay. of the telepod. Walks over to his computer, um, which. I love what they do with the computer. He, he types in a password, and then he speaks into it. Wait, how many how many keys keystrokes does he have to do for this password? I'm like, this thing is not secure. Oh, it's very secure, Tim. It's two factor authentication. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Because not only is it what you know, which is your password, but it's who you are as a person, Tim. And I, probably very advanced for a computer back then, right? Yeah, that did not exist. Voice recognition, as far as a security measure, back in 1986, that wasn't... I mean, if it did exist, it would have been very rudimentary. It wouldn't have... And, I mean, the computer in this movie really kind of stands up. I mean, it doesn't look like anything that we would have today, but it's not like what you usually see in movies, where it's like, nobody's putting on a fucking headset and going into the computer and moving around, left and right, and grabbing yeah. fucking files out of a cabinet. The shit that they show on the computer looks pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it, it analyzes his voice, says, okay, what are we going to do? He says, you know, prepare for uh, teleportation in five seconds. And then he leans over and he whispers to the computer. 
And uh, Faustus, you have the script for this. Is there any specific direction of what is whispered? It's going in, the screen fills with technobabble, satisfies, presses accept. No, I think this might have actually, this might have been something improvised or put in at the last minute because it doesn't show up here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I have is that he, from, from an interview that I read, he leans into it and whispers to it, I think she's on to us. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you go back and listen to it with headphones on, you can catch it. So I, I did fact check that one, and it, it appears that way, but maybe it's the whole thing of, you know, uh, uh, my sweet Satan, when, when uh, it's played in reverse, if the, uh, the thought is put into your head, that it sounds that right way here. forever. Yeah. But, wow, what does that even mean? I think it was him making a joke. Uh, <laughs> that that uh, maybe first his first romance might have been his work and his technology. Um, so, fires up the old teleportation, and uh, we get the appropriate whirring noises, the sparks shooting, the hatches open back up, there's the appropriate steam, and her stocking is missing. And she's so impressed that she says, congratulations, you've made a microwave. The world's largest <laughs> microwave oven. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't give you my Rolex. But again, yeah. it's... If I had one. It had really one. looks good. It doesn't look... It, it stands up to it looks. Yeah. yeah, looks wonderful. Yeah. And uh, he says, no, let's go over, uh, take a look at the other pod. And they go over, look at it, open it up. <laughs> and uh, she kind of looks at him like, are you, are you shitting me? Is that, is that a, a hologram? Yeah. He says, nope. And then this little exchange here that they have, he tells her, uh, basically, what I did was, your stocking was disintegrated there and reintegrated here, sort of. And she says, uh, I don't understand. I don't get it. He says, you do get it, but you're not ready for it. Or you can't handle it. Sorry. <laughs> so she takes the stocking out and, and uh, you know, takes a look at it. And, well, that's when she starts flipping the tape on to record. He tells her, look, uh, you know. Or don't you think she's been recording it all along and the tape yeah. is run out to flip it over? Oh, right, right. Yes, because it makes a little audible um, sound. Yeah, but. Like a notification. No, I don't think so. I think she has it. I don't think she's turned it on yet. Because I think, because later on, that's how he finds out that she's recording because the tape makes a sound when it needs to be turned over. Yes, yes. And when he does, when she does turn it over, he says, look, I thought this was personal. You, you can't report on what we're doing here. You know, this, uh, you, I need you to give me the tape. But before that, th there is a little discussion he has because she, she asks him about the science behind it or the inner workings of it. And he says, I, quite honestly, I, I couldn't have done this all by myself. Um, I outsourced the individual components. So nobody would really know what's being made anyway. And my uh, the tragedy of it, of course, is that my financiers will end up taking all of the credit for it. Yeah, and they leave him alone right. because he doesn't cost a lot. He doesn't spend a lot of money and he's quiet. And whenever yep. he invents that, they know that sooner or later they're going to uh, own it. So he, yeah, and he considers himself a project manager, which is interesting because almost in every aspect he is unremarkable, right? 
It's very diminutive the way that he speaks of himself here. Well, it, you know what? It's a great thing because usually in movies you have somebody who's like a fucking Tony Stark. Who yeah. has the ideas, who knows how to do the engineering, how to figure out all the fucking mathematics that you need to do with it, and can build it himself in his garage. Which I'm yeah. sure that doesn't happen. You have somebody who has an idea, but I don't know how to do this, so let me talk to somebody who knows how to do engineering. And the engineering guy doesn't know how to do the fucking uh, the advertisement part of the deal. And you get somebody who does that. So it makes sense that he's like the, the idea man. Yeah. Build me a laser this. Design me a molecular analyzer that. And they do. Build me a laser that can start a fire in uh, California. <laughs> well, you don't need one of those to start a fire in California, Tim. Oh, God. That's a, that's a, that's a Twitter joke. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. And then the, the, those are the notes I have going up so far, Faustus, if you have anything to interject. Uh, I mean, not particularly. There is something I, I remember interestingly like thinking of the question of whether he knows she's a journalist or not i remember the line as being something like this you know when they're arguing about the tape record don't give me that naive bullshit i'm a journalist i was sent to the party by particle magazine you knew that and his response was i thought this was just personal i didn't, wouldn't tell any of this stuff to a journalist her retort is but you did tell this stuff to a journalist uh, yeah it's true yep <laughs> yeah so out you know out she goes. Yeah. He says, but wait, you're stalking. You know, keep it for good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, next scene, cut to her back at uh, Particle Magazine. I can't imagine our... how a science magazine has this Tony a dig, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Like it looks oh, like it man. looks like Vanity Fair or something. No, back then, yeah. science yeah. magazines were pretty big because you had, I think you had Omni Magazine. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think there was another. Ma I think it was I'm pretty sure there was like two big, like quote unquote was, science magazines that were like one, battling it out back and there, forth. There was one called Discover. Yes. Okay. Um, yes. And but I guess you know I guess like they were probably they had decent circulations, but were they really in these kinds of super Tony executive offices? Is what I was no. thinking. Back no, then, with I mean, all that they, money and Larry Flint probably being the publisher. Yeah. They might have rented out the top two floors of a building like that, but they did not have a building like that. No. Yeah. Um, so this is where we are uh, introduced to John Getz's character. Stathis uh, Borans. What a name. I have no idea where this name came from. It sounds like a fucking vampire. Yeah. Well, and, and the, he shares initials with uh, Seth Brundle. Mm-hmm. Right, so maybe, maybe the two of them are uh, different sides of the same coin in a way that make a different turn toward the other side, going on forward. I, I don't know. Speculation. So uh, she is playing the the tape for him, and he says, "Oh, oh, you know that's uh, fascinating." So he's a magician, right? He he did the old cabinet trick with you. <laughs> yeah, he basically um, calls it stupid. He's conning you. Yeah. You've been you've been tricked. Yeah. Um but someone interrupts. Well, Seth shows up and uh he's very uh perturbed. He does not want the article to be written. And he uh he invites Veronica out to go get a cheeseburger. Seth so Seth uh, Brundle. Yep. Yeah, Seth Brundle. Yep. Yeah, invites Veronica to go get a cheeseburger. 
Yeah, because Seth realizes that the uh, the editor thinks that this is all a joke, that he doesn't believe yeah. him. Uh, he doesn't believe her. Right. So he takes her out for the cheeseburger and he tells her, look, I've been working on this for far too long. Um, please don't, I don't want other people to know about it though, because they'll kill me. Plus it's not, it's not done. You see, it can only teleport inanimate objects, um, nothing living. And she says, well, what happens if you try to teleport a living thing? And I love this. He looks at his cheeseburger and he says, uh, not while we're eating. <laughs> Which, Which later on, we'll see that, so, yeah, that's not exactly dinner conversation. She has a good comeback. Olive Garden. She has a splendid comeback line, which is, it can't be worse than this, looking at her cheeseburger. Yeah. But then she eats the cheeseburger, true. too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. He uh, offers her, he says, look, how about this? Instead, don't don't just do an article. He goes into salesman mode, and he, here's where he actually is kind of doing a good job. He makes says, a valid point. Very valid. Yeah, he says don't don't do an article on it. Instead, follow me. Archive the entire process. Make it a book, not just an article. All you have to do is wait, and you can document the greatest scientific discovery ever. I don't have a life. So you'll have nothing to interfere with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very true. So it's, uh, she agrees. She says, yeah, that's, uh, okay. But first she has to go home. Yep. And, uh, well, someone's in her shower. We get like a reverse psycho shot here. <laughs> right. Because, uh, someone is taking a shower and... She walks over, she pulls the curtain back, and it's Stathis. He said, uh, I love this line, too. He says, well, I was in the neighborhood, and I felt a bit scummy. <laughs> in my notes, I, I, my notes, I said, I, well, at least Stathis has some self-awareness. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's saying that completely he unaware of what he just said. No, you know what? He sort of does, too, because, like, his weird little gross comments that he makes toward her, even though he, we'll get to it later, he kind of, like, knowingly is like, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy, you know? Anyhow, he and says... And you uh, like it. Yeah. She assaults, him, way. she assaults him by toilet flush in the shower. Oh, yeah. Such what a great move. Such an old fucking move, right? Would people even get that today? You think teenagers would understand what that is? Depends on how old the housing they live in is, I suppose. That's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, it really, it really so is areas. kind of a Hitchcock tribute, right? Because yeah. Psycho is famously the first scene in any American movie where a toilet is shown. That's true, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that part. But wow, yeah. yeah, holy shit. So yeah, she flushes the toilet on him, turning the hot water uh, cold in his shower. Uh... I think it, yeah, I think it turns the water hot. Or scalding hot. Yeah, because oh, you're well, using right. the... Because yeah, I don't know about your toilet bowl, uh, <laughs> Eddie, but yeah. my toilet bowl water maybe, is kind of cold. Maybe in and California deep. it works differently. I, but Could be. See, yeah. my toilet water is cold <laughs> and deep. That's uh, the Coriolis effect, right? Um, so uh, she says, he, he says, you know, by the way, I had a key because remember, we used to be romantically involved. Um so he says, and by the way, I did some research on Seth. It turns out that he's 
fucking brilliant. Yeah, he knows um, what he's talking about. Yeah, he almost won a Nobel Prize for physics. At 20 years old. 20 years old, yeah. And uh, she says, well, uh, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. <clears throat> but you you need to leave, sir. And by the way, give me the key. And he says, nah, that's okay. I'll, I'll hang on to it for safekeeping. And leaves. Scummy. Very scummy. Yeah, I don't think the water washed that filth off. So we go back to the lab. And we're teleporting a baboon. Yep. And this... This is kind of strange choice, I think, but uh, there we go. A baboon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I watched most, uh, I rewatched most of this for, for the second time for this viewing last night with my wife. And that was her immediate thing is, is um, if you're going to be teleporting something alive, why would you start with something so complex? <laughs> right. Also so um, ill behaved, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and, true. Yeah. Baboons are not exactly known. <laughs> For being docile. Yeah. No, and Cronenberg was quite afraid of the baboon. Yeah. Uh, while they were filming, there were some notes on that that I had seen that um, he he didn't really want to be around it. So was going to rip <laughs> his face off or something? Well, baboons, yeah, can can freak out for no good reason. Well, um, no, wait, it's because they're baboons. Well, that's the true, reason because because they're an animal that that belongs in a place that's not. Uh, a retrofitted warehouse for filming purposes. <laughs> Filled with smoke and flashing lights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he did hypothesize that uh, Goldblum being uh, of such physical stature that the baboon was, was behaving around him. <laughs> <laughs> he dominated the baboon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that the baboon's wow. like, look, this, this That's man's a six fucking four. big dick energy, huh? <laughs> yeah, this man is 6'4 and in great shape. That's probably why the baboon's behaving. Uh, <laughs> wow. So we go to teleport the baboon, and uh, we fire up the old process on the computer. Damn. We see the baboon vanish. And they they linger on the receiving pod for quite some time. And we get the smoke that pops up there into the window. And then just a bloody fist slams on the window. Yep. So we know something's wrong. And in our mind, we're, we're, we're trying to construct what happened in there. <laughs> and they hold on it just long enough. Door opens, smoke clears. And, well, we see the baboon only uh, turned inside out. But yeah. the creature turned inside out. Not the part yeah. of the baboon you usually see at the zoo. And it exploded. No. no. And the way they did this effect was, was wonderful, too. It, it actually took three puppeteers to do it. They had two of them underneath of the light table that they had the puppet on. Um, moving independently, the top and bottom half of it, and the third puppeteer behind it that was just controlling the spurting of the blood. It's Cronenberg, so you know that all these scenes are going to be top-notch. And again, yeah. it holds up today. Right, because it's a practical effect, right? It exists in a three-dimensional space, mm -hmm. so when you it's look at it... It's happening then, when the camera's filming it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tactile, it's visceral, you... You understand it. Now, there, there's a bit of discussion of whether some of these scares, some of these jumpier scares that, that happen early in the movie, this and, and another scene we'll get to, maybe this was the producers um, saying, well, every 20 pages, we're going to need a scare. 
Faustus, what's your opinion of that? Do you think I kind of you... get the sense that this is probably just a pre this is a preview uh of body horror that's going to come. Mm-hmm. Um and it kind of it kind of has to it, he has to show it fail in order to make the process of succeeding have a lot of weight. So it made mm, sense yeah. to me that this would appear at this point in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to agree. Plus we, we need to know that when what happens happens, eventually there are some there's stakes dire, here. You know, yeah, and like it could the, be a combination of the there two. Are. It could be the producers are saying, look, every 20 pages, we need to see something that's going to shock everybody. And he's like, hey, okay, I'm David Cronenberg. I'm going to do yeah. it every 20 pages. Don't worry. Yep, definitely. And, and I like the way that you worded that, Faustus. There are stakes here, be they uh, porterhouse <laughs> or ribeye. <laughs> well, there's only one so, stake, really. Yeah. True. Well, maybe. I don't know. When it's teleported, is it still the... St- yeah. Anyhow. Um, so she immediately, though, Veronica, starts setting up the camera to film Seth after the failed experiment happens. And he is distraught, of course. And so she asks him, well, what are you, what are you thinking? And he says, fuck is what I'm thinking. I turned a baboon inside out. And uh, he says, it, it turned the baboon inside out because it cannot deal with the flesh. Um, then we're getting more Cronenberg talking about oh, flesh. Oh, yeah, I think this is like, this is like one of the best parts of the whole fucking movie. This the, yeah. the dialogue here, back and forth. Yeah, it's a wonderful bit of dialogue. I don't have it written out uh, verbatim. And Faustus, your voice is much better than mine if you if you have it and want what to recite it. What does it say? It can't deal with the flesh, with living things. Mm-hmm. It only seems to work with inanimate objects. Nothing that's alive. Computer, yeah, it must be my fault. Veronica says, why? This is, computers are dumb. They only know what you tell them. I must not know enough about the flesh myself. I'm going to have to learn. He sighs and says, I don't want to talk now. Yeah. Well, he's about to learn about the flesh because... Uh... I love this. I, 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 I love this scene where Veronica says, "Do you ever change your clothes?" Oh yeah, because she's yeah, like, yeah, he's, he's just a... sort of lying around, feeling you know, morose. Yeah, yeah, he's like, it's a pull-out fucking bed, right? Yep. Yeah, they're on a whole bed. bed. It's just a couch. Yeah, this in this shot so reminds me of uh, Videodrome as well. Um, you know, where they're in front of the TV and they first make love, uh, or something like it. But yeah, we, we've got the, the height of bed. And he says, of course, I, I change my clothes every day. Look. And he w- walks over, <laughs> opens up the closet, and it's just five matching outfits. Identical, the same jacket, the same pants, the same shirt. And he says, well, I, I like it this way because then I, I don't have, I have one less thing to worry about effectively. Um, yeah, he doesn't have to waste any brain power on figuring out what yeah. to wear. He says he, yeah. learned, he says he learns it from Einstein. And I, just, I can interject a personal note here, which mm-hmm. is this seems bizarre, but one of the very few people I've met in my life who I would actually think of as being something like a genius, who mm-hmm. is my old philosophy teacher, Derek Parfit, did this exactly. Uh, he always wore the same gray slacks and a white dress shirt um, to save himself from having to think about what he would wear on any given day. Uh, you know, he wanted his brain power to be reserved for you know, his work, and that's what he did. Mm-hmm. So this is real. There are people who do this. 
No, it, it's the old Einstein quote of why should I bother to memorize something that I can look up, yep. right? Yep. Uh, that's just a problem. I have, I have a similar thing that I did, but it's probably for a stupider reason. Um, I had a sock apocalypse in which I reduced all of my socks to one cut and type so that I never had a mismatched sock. <laughs> Wow. That's <laughs> how brilliant I am. Uh, so. I got a bidet. Yeah, then, it's a bidet? Oh, I love yeah, a bidet. Yeah, that way I don't have to, you know, I don't have to waste all that extra energy of that. Do I take the toilet paper from this angle or that angle? Does it all by mm. itself? Don't have to worry about the over or under hang or, yeah, no, the bidet. And especially in these troubled times when um, we may have another toilet paper shortage, the bidet is where it's at. So, this episode brought to you by Bidets. Mm -hmm. So she offers to make him a steak. Says, hey, you know, why don't we go get some steaks? I mean, it's no cheeseburger, of course. Uh, <laughs> and then she tells him, you know what? You're very cute. And then, well, well, they, they have their one-night stand uh, requisite lovemaking session. And afterwards, he goes to lay down, but his back hurts. Mm. And she reaches behind him, and Faustus, what does she find? She finds a circuit board stuck yeah. in his back. Um, mm. Which is, uh, he's, it's, it's both sort of funny for characterization purposes, mm -hmm. because he says, oh, I wondered where that thing had gone. Uh, which is very Brundle. But yes. also, it's good, it's efficient writing because not only does this create a place for fly hairs to grow, which we'll be seeing in a couple scenes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but this melding of man and machine also prefigures the final transfiguration. Yep. Yes. So, not to mention, there's a bit of him that's technology that is being removed, which yep. kind of the learning of the flesh mm -hmm. we're, we're alluding to here, as well as his uh, kind of oversight of very minor details. They will eventually come wow, back holy to shit. Uh, characterization. Literally. Wow, you plot. know, that's why I'm glad I listened to this podcast. Characterization, <laughs> plot, and prefiguration all packed into maybe about four lines of mm. screenplay. It's really efficient. Amazing. Not to mention, it's technology literally stabbing him in the back. Yep. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Stop blowing my mind, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I love this scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie yep. because then... She starts kissing the wound, and she says that she just wants to eat him up. We're talking about the eating, and she says, you know why old ladies pinch babies? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the flesh. It drives them crazy. And, and it's uh, so true, right? Why do you pinch babies' cheeks? Why do fucking people say that? Cause I think she says at the beginning, it's like, you know, it's something, she says something to the effect of, you're so cute, I just want to eat you right up. Yep. And why would people say that? When you think about that, when, you, when you're in love with somebody and you just had sex, why would one of you want to eat the other one up? Uh, wait, uh, hashtag Hunger? Army Hammer? <laughs> Poor Army Hammer. I, I, I brought this point up to a friend of mine. Do you remember that Angelina Jolie famously had a vial of yes, uh, Billy yes, Bob yes, Thornton's yes, blood yes. that she would wear around to, to constantly <sighs> have him with her? Yep. It was quite literally the same thing that Army Hammer was talking about, but only she had actually done it. Hmm. So. Okay. Crazy celebrities. Yeah. So. Seth Brundle is then inspired. He yep. has a, a spark of imagination. He says, well, wait a minute. I know what to do. And he gets up and leaves. 
I guess they're not going to have any steak, but maybe they will. Yeah, he learned his flesh lesson pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, come on. It's this is Gina, Gina Davis. Davis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 1986. That's a hell of a tutor, Tim. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's decided, you know what? I need to start teaching the computer but first, how to be driven. First, there's an experiment, Sorry. right? He does something with the steak. Yes. That's very yeah, true. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So he takes the steak, the raw steak, slaps it down on a plate, cuts it in half. Okay. Then, so she only bought one steak? It's a fair-sized steak. They could have had like a, a baked potato and a little salad on the side and shared it, maybe. I don't know. Mm, okay. Yeah. So takes the steak, puts half of it in the teleporter, teleports it. Then takes both pieces of steak, the teleported and the unteleported steak, which is my favorite uh, Philip K. Dick story, uh, and cooks them. And I love this because he gives her both pieces. She takes a, a bite of the first one, and he says, well, and she goes, well, I mean, it could use some finesse. <laughs> uh, hey, look, in my defense, I'm a single rec recluse who plays the piano and is a genius. I'm not supposed to know how to cook a steak. It, it does a, a lot uh, for the ladies to learn how to cook, let me tell you. Uh, I think teleportation might trump building a steak, cooking mm, a steak. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to ask my wife about that. So she takes a bite. Yeah, says, yeah, I could use a little finesse, but it's definitely a steak. And then she takes a bite of the teleported steak. And what she says is very telling. He asks her, she goes, uh, oh, it tastes funny, and immediately goes to spit it out. And he says, what do you mean? What do you mean it tastes funny? It tastes funny how? Like a clown? No. Um, <laughs> like it's here to amuse you? <laughs> <laughs> and he, she says, it's, uh, it tastes synthetic. And he says, yes, the, the problem is that the computer is translating it, reproducing it, but it is missing something. Uh, it's lost in translation. Yeah. It's, it's uh, he's got to, it doesn't know how to drive old ladies crazy because the computer itself cannot be driven crazy by the flesh. So I need to teach the computer how to be driven crazy. Crazy by the code. flesh, the poetry, the, flesh. the steak. I'm going to start teaching it now. And then there's a line that was apparently cut, which is really unfortunate, I think. But Veronica, it doesn't appear in the movie, but she calls after her, what are you going to do, read it naked lunch? Uh, <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's wow. too bad, since Cronenberg is going to go on to make that movie. Sort of a, Very good. I have a theory that maybe all of Cronenberg's movies are just simply inside Cronenberg's head, and he's simply drilling down over the course of his life to get them all out. But <laughs> So... Uh... Yeah, I, then I love, she She takes the good half of the steak and then just, like, walks off with it. <laughs> She's yeah, like, she oh, I'm going to go plates. eat this. She chows down. Yeah. That's, well, oh, of course. Who blames her? Come on. It's a steak. And then um, she leaves. But she's not alone. We see that there's been a car parked out near the warehouse all night, and it's Stathis. He's been following her, doing a little bit of research of his own. And um, so she goes to a clothing store, and I think this is interesting because she's looking at a new jacket for Seth. So already the the routine, the uh, I've already got all of my outfits selected for me. I'm not going to need mm -hmm. to think about it anymore. We're getting a wrench thrown she's into that. She's throwing kink in that plan, yeah. 
Because yeah. I don't think she's going to buy five jackets. No. Well, she only has one. And so, yeah, then uh, uh, Stathis confronts her about Seth, saying, you know, and, and he, well, he throws a fit. <laughs> oh, this is fucking crazy. Really? Yeah. That's. Yeah. And what's crazy, too, is I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the people like focusing in on Gina Davis. Well, oh, this guy's like down on his fucking knees, like screaming, kill me, kill me right here. Some, mm -hmm. And they're not looking at him like he's the one, fucking one that's crazy. They're kind of looking at her like, what the hell did you do to him? Yeah, because I think, and I think that's a, a clever choice um, by Cronenberg, right? Because we're supposed to be seeing this through her eyes, you know? And uh, having everybody look at you like you're crazy when this is going on is yeah, just Yeah, because like... she says at one point, like, I'll sleep with wh with whoever I want. Mm -hmm. And, you mm -hmm. know, by there, you know, she's doing what she wants and for yeah. what she's supposed to be able to do. But everybody's looking at her like, what? Yeah. Not the guy that's down on his fucking knees in the middle of a fucking store screaming his head off. Yep. So she tells him off. She's, yeah, look, I'm going to sleep with whoever I want. You need to leave this alone. You need to move on. So now we go back to the lab. And uh, thankfully, we had another baboon hanging out. Yep. <laughs> well, and not only that, but is, we find out later on that they're related? Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it could just be. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Emergency backup baboon. It's always a sensible precaution. Mm -hmm. Break, mm -hmm. Breaking case of emergency. <laughs> There's a baboon be behind would... the glass. When he does mention that it's his brother, he is drunk. So, uh, yeah. Uh, you know he what? just means, it... like, in the sense that we're all brothers. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, could be. Could be. So we uh, teleport the baboon, and uh, miracle of miracles, it works. But they, they hold on it for a moment, and then the door yep. opens without any interaction by them. It's almost as though the baboon opened the door himself. Uh, <laughs> um. And then the baboon just charges out, runs over at, at Seth, and jumps on him. And immediately you're thinking, oh, shit, he's gone crazy. Oh, We're going to have an shots. outbreak scenario. Hmm? It's monkey shy. Yeah, yeah. But now he's just giving Seth a hug. Like, don't ever do that to me again, motherfucker. <sighs> Look, you need to be chill the first time I teleport you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my heart can't handle this. So it works. Time to celebrate. Uh, pop a bottle of champagne and, uh, well, we'll send the baboon out for some testing. Make sure he's okay. It's yep. going to take a couple of weeks. And Veronica says, well, that's, that's wonderful. Why don't we go on vacation? She has a weird line here. She says holiday. Yeah. And yeah. people in America don't say that. I don't know if that's a Canadian thing. It's probably that's Canadian. definitely like a Europe European thing where people go on holiday. Mm -hmm. You would definitely say that in UK English, so it makes yeah. sense that you'd see mm -hmm. it in Canadian English. Makes sense, you yeah. know. And I love where they where she wants to go is Florida. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different time, 1986. Oh yeah, Jeff Goldblum and Coke. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll maybe. get to that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we'll definitely get to that. He's one. got a he's got a Miami connection. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he agrees. He says, "Yeah, you know what? We'll we'll do it. We'll go on a vacation. We we can finally move away from my my work because right now it's all you know contingent upon the test results of the baboon." 
says, uh, but you know what? We should definitely celebrate in the fanciest and best way I can think of. Who wants Chinese? <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. So he just picks up the phone, starts Look, ordering Chinese, some Chinese food. Chinese food is great for any occasion, right? If you're sad, it's good to have. If you're glad, yeah. you're celebrating. It's something that's quick and easy. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah. What's your go-to uh, Chinese entree there, Tim? Oh, gee, I like uh, the chicken with the black bean sauce and uh, chicken fried rice. Mm. Faustus, what about you? Oh, gosh. I mean, I guess there's a certain kind of um, some kind of fish that I can't remember the name of in English of or in Chinese at this moment, but that would probably be it. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I go with the, uh, I don't know, I like a Kung Pao shrimp. Uh, I will tell you this, Eddie. Uh, you and your wife are making me kind of rethink my whole life, and I'm thinking the next time I get Chinese food, I oh, might no. get fried rice with roast pork. No, Tim. If you're going to, if you're going to, it's the smallest possible abalone. pieces. Abalone, Fry, the abalone. It's a, it's the abalone. Oh, yeah. there you oh, go. That is oh, wonderful. Shit, damn, Faustus. Yep. Yeah. We've got a we've got a place here in my hometown that makes it really good. So, mm. proper mm. proper Chinese seafood restaurant. Nice, yeah. nice. But Tim, if you're going to eat pork, you need your wife's Korean. Tim, I know, I know. But I think if I gotta do it, I think I gotta start off small, and where it's like I'm eating with a bunch of other stuff, and it's not like it's not like the main dish. Okay, okay, I could see that. Or you know, you could do as the, uh, the I gotta Chinese, take a uh, piglet pork. steps. Piglet steps. <laughs> 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 yeah, Faustus. Tim doesn't like to eat pork because his uh, what was it? Your grandmother yeah, told my you grandmother that there's with a sweet vermouth. Mm-hmm. That there's parasites in pork, um, well, that, that are bugs. Not if that, you that cook you... it properly. Well, well, they all right, Faustus. But here's the here's the thing. That's exactly where I went. I went. So if they cook it right, I'm eating dead parasites. And if they don't cook it right, I'm eating parasites that are alive. So it's not a good situation. Either way, I'm eating parasites. It's just a matter of whether or not they're dead or alive. And I, I was just at that right age, and that and the smell of sweet, sweet vermouth. Holy Christ, that's a fucking flashback right there. Wow. <laughs> that, that was the last that time I had pork when I was like maybe, geez, like maybe 10, 11 years old. Huh. Wow. And was, it, was this uh, sweet and sour pork, you said? Uh, no, what I always used to get was uh, roast pork and mm. uh, uh, roast pork fried rice. Uh, see, then that's exactly what you need to have. That's what I'm thinking, because uh, go back to something circle. that I was familiar with, and that before I found out that it was uh, there was dead parasites in it, which if my wife is cooking it, I don't have to worry about that, but it was just that thing that was just at the right Tim, age, at that right Tim, time, it imprinted. There's always going to be dead parasites in everything that you eat. I know, but it wasn't, like I said, it was just imprinted. <laughs> That's why there are some motherfuckers yeah. who get turned on by shoes, because they saw their fucking mother put on a pair of shoes when they were just yeah. the right age, yeah. right? Okay, okay. So, Fair so, enough. Sort of an anti-fetish, as it were. Yes. Mm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, man. Just a phobia. Just a phobia. I'm trying to get over it, but yeah, that's okay. It's okay. You'll you'll do it, man. We'll we'll keep. You have to keep us. I'll posted, tell you though. this: it's going to join my wife fucking crazy if after being married for ten years and being together <laughs> for like fifteen, if the reason why I eat fucking pork is because of you and your fucking wife busting my chops on Discord. <laughs> yeah, tell her uh, you're welcome. So. <laughs> I mean, come on. Korean pork belly is... I know. That documentary God. on Netflix, Jesus Christ, in fucking 4K. 
phenomenal. I, I mean, I make, I cure and make my own bacon, Tim. You're talking to the wrong guy. I know, I know. Okay. I used I to know. love bacon, too, when I was a kid. So fucking wow. crispy. Oof, Jesus. Fuck that sizzling shit. Give me real bacon, but. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So they're celebrating. He's ordering the Chinese food, and, well, Veronica sees an envelope from Particle Magazine. Oh, dear. From Strathus. Your article for Particle has been denied. <laughs> no. Her article from Particle has been... Fast-tracked. Uh, yes. Perversed. Green-lighted. Taken against her will. Because she opens it up, Seth says, yeah, somebody slipped it under the door. Of course I didn't pay attention to it, because why would I? Whatever. He's crazy. I get it. So she opens it up, sees, yeah, Seth's uh, beautiful face, uh, awkwardly printed onto this magazine in an article about the teleporter. Seth Brundle, youthful father of a new age. Yeah, yeah. So uh -oh. she covers it up really quickly, and she says, "Look, I've got to, I've got to go real quick. I uh, still have some residue on my shoe from another life, and I need to scrape it off once and for all." And I'm like, "Maybe this isn't the way to say that. Just say you're going to go get some more champagne. You know, <laughs> like, uh, that's rough. But hey, she goes back to the office at Particle to confront him." Uh, Strathus for stealing her story and printing it. And she tells him, look, this is my story. I know it inside and out. Do not steal it, okay? Do not print this. And he, uh, well, he gets a little confrontational back with her. He says, what? Because you want to see yourself on the cover of Time magazine? You want to, you want to be a big shot? You want to go make your money and become famous outside of our organization, I suppose. And he says, I'll, I'll make you a deal. His lines are so snotty in this. It's like, yeah. you know, his response is, you know, she complains about it. He says, I'm your editor. I'm shaping your material into a story. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you swear the one who told me there was no story. He said, Brandon was a con man. <laughs> he says, I've decided to trust your journalistic instincts. <laughs> yeah. He really. Uh, what an asshole. <laughs> He's good at being an asshole. I mean, you know. So good. Yep. So good. And so she she says, look, he tells her, though, look, I, I won't print it, but you need to stay as my co-worker and my friend. And hey, what about sex, too? Like, no affection, none of this whole As she's out on the way out the door, he's yeah. sitting there with his cigar. Yeah. <laughs> just throws it <laughs> just, off the cuff. Like, just good old-fashioned. You know oh, wait, uh, you said no? Uh, that's okay. I was only joking. It's the Columbo one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> one more thing. One more time. Yeah. It's a uh, it's an oddly ambivalent scene because she, she she hears this, Veronica says, You're disgusting as always. Says, yeah. I wouldn't want to disappoint you. Well, I am yep. scummy, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I am what I am. And she just leaves. There's yep. no weird confrontation behind it. It's almost a joking yep. feeling. Well, it's 1986, too, right? So it's a different time back then. Because otherwise, you'd be getting a restraining order or changing your fucking locks, calling the cops. Yeah, yeah. you'd be tweeting about it and getting them fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> rightfully <laughs> From so, the maybe. magazine that's going under anyway because they never got their fucking digital platform set up. Yeah, true, true. 
So we go back to the lab and Seth and the baboon are drunk. Well, I can't, I can't confirm that the baboon is drunk. <laughs> I think the baboon's on acid, right? <laughs> Given how baboons behave, how would we really know? Uh, maybe lewds, right? Because the baboon's pretty fucking cool, even though they kinked this fucking baboon's hair out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's just sitting there talking to the baboon. He's going over his, his hypothesis that he's, he's, I figured it out. The, the residue, it's an old boyfriend. Uh, oh, of course, it's Stathis. He, he, she got an envelope from Stathis. She read it, and he, uh, she's going over to meet with him at, at night. And uh, I love that this, it wasn't his hubris that done him in. It was his jealousy and drunkenness. Right. <laughs> Which is a completely human thing to do, right? So true. So true. So it's the Othello it, scene, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. He says, you know what? Fuck it. Takes the last swig out of the champagne. <laughs> I'm going to show her. Yeah. And he tells the baboon, he says, I'm sorry that your brother died. But, Didn't mean to like kill the him. general said, I wouldn't have you do anything that I wouldn't do. What are we waiting for? Let's do it. And again, that goes back to how many different mad scientist movies where they do the experiment on themselves. And it usually doesn't work out too well. Yeah. So he sets the timer. And the poor baboon is being hassled by a tiny, insignificant common housefly. Just swatting at it. Get out of here. You're you're bothering me. Dung potty in Korean. Mm -hmm. And uh, Seth, he sets up the old Betamax. Points it at the teleporter device. Walks on in to teleport himself, and uh-oh. The fly flies into the pod. Yeah, it's on the inside of the glass this time. Yep. So you think the baboon irritated the fly inside it? Uh, potentially, yeah. Because the fly was outside bothering the baboon. The baboon takes a couple swipes at it. The fly's got to yeah. go somewhere, and he ends up going inside the transport. It's true, yeah. Seth, uh... So the baboon got his revenge for his brother. I guess so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, fires up the teleporter. We see the computers doing the countdown. It does the full-body scan of Seth. And then zap. Seth emerges and uh, looks at his baboon friend and says, Hey, uh, am I different somehow? Is it live? Or is it Memorex? Uh, now, I know Faustus. You're going to get the reference. But do you get the reference, Eddie? Yeah, it's a commercial. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, for, for Memorex, the cassette tapes for Yeah, recording. because you always used to have where it would be like, uh, you would have like a split screen and be Ella Fitzgerald singing, and the next scene would be somebody coming on, and the, the tagline would be, is it live or is it Memorex? But that's mm-hmm. from an old fucking commercial. I don't even know yeah. if it was, well, yeah, I guess 1986, it probably was still running. And I mean, the implications of it are, of course, he's teleported. Is is it even him now? Yep. Right? He's, is it me or is it a copy of me? And how would I know? Or is there an I to know? Yeah. Can you tell? Because that's the whole point <laughs> of it. Is it live or is it Memorex? Is can you tell whether it's not really Ella Fitzgerald singing or if you're listening to a recording of it? These are all Derek yeah. Parfit-like questions, by the way. Mm-hmm. See? It circles back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spirals, you might say. Yeah. Oh, well, no. Eddie might say. We'll not get into spirals today, Tim. <laughs> Just going around and around with that. 
So Veronica returns to the lab and Seth's asleep back on their little love nest hide a bed. Uh, she wakes him up and he he won. He says, oh, sorry, I missed you last night. Um, I was a little drunk and upset, you know. <laughs> uh, it was a little little tough. So I, uh, by the way, are you sleeping with Stathis? She's like, look, man, no, I'm not with him. When I was a student, he was a teacher. He got me started in journalism. Sure, there was a thing that happened, but no more. So, all right, well, that's fine. Cool. I guess we're all, uh, everything's gravy now. So let's, uh, let's fuck again. <laughs> Oh, by the way, I went through the telepod the other night. Yeah, but just a, uh, you know, might come up later. Yeah. Shits and giggles. I went through the telepod. See, this is what happens when you're not with me. When you leave me, this is the kind of stupid things that I do. Mm. So don't ever leave me again, right? I'll I'll teach you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she says, "Well, wait. I thought you were waiting for the test on the monkey or the monkey." Yeah, and he says, "A baboon, by the way." Uh, <laughs> She's like, fine, yeah, baboon. I, I thought you were waiting on the test and stuff. He's like, eh, what are you, you going to do, you know? Who has weeks to wait? And he says, by the way, I recorded it for you. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. As long as you've recorded it, that's all I uh, Yeah, as soon as he says that, that's it. She's happy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, back to back to the lovemaking. She's mm -hmm. uh, no, this is feeling him up. This is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, fuck yeah. it. There's many, many different kinds of love, Tim. Sometimes mm. it's animalistic, too. Oh, well, is it animalistic or insectal? Well, I think that you, maybe there are two scenes. There's this one. Then there's the scene where Brundle first catches the fly, right? Yes. So that's coming yeah. up. This is when she feels the little insect hairs coming out of his back. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we cut to uh, Brundle waking up and the sound of the... And wait, see, hold fly. on. This is where we go. He wanted to do something about aging, right? And I can tell you, someone who's getting older, you do have hairs come out of your back. Yeah. You just hope that I, I use courses of fucking flies, but. Which I refer to as my insect hairs because I have these crazy, long, very, very coarse ones that pop out of my shoulder. I'm slowly turning into a werewolf. Yeah, I got them on the shoulder, too. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what the fuck Do you have them coming out of but... the back of your ear yet? Uh, my wife always pulls them off, and that fucking hurts. Okay. That's good. That's love. <laughs> That's You know what? In, in considering what comes up with, with uh, Veronica in this, it's such a definitely a, a, a female, I would say, maybe, instinct. Um, uh, yeah, that's right, because I think really... Yeah. This is something, and kind of goes back again to, uh, we'll get to it, but uh, while I can yeah. remember it, is Jennifer's body, where this is something that only a uh, woman would yeah. do, right? Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, and, and back, so back to your point, though, Faustus, is he's sleeping, and we hear the buzzing of the fly, but the thing is, it's, it's almost played off as atmospheric, and maybe that there isn't a fly there in, in the previous scene, right? Then we, we cut to this scene of him waking up, uh, with a start and reaching out and grabbing the fly out of the air. Yep. But he doesn't kill it. He just captures it, That's opens his trick. hand, and releases it. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, to digress a little bit, going back to my grandmother, I remember a famous story about how my grandmother supposedly killed some guy when she was a teenager. Okay. 
<laughs> well, not maybe kill, but supposedly cause his death. Okay. And uh, when my grandmother was young, she, I, uh, all right, this is a, this is a big callback. Uh, she looked like Ava Gardner. Okay. Okay, a Faustus. Okay, you know. Yeah, sure. okay. okay, look it up and you'll see. Ava Gardner was something when she was uh, young. Yes. And supposedly this guy was at a picnic with my grandmother and a bunch of her friends, and to impress her, he caught a fly in his hand, and then put it in his mouth and swallowed the fly. I don't know why. <laughs> Sorry. He might die. <laughs> and supposedly this guy got sick like two or three days later and ended up dying. Now, Jesus. this is like 1910, 1912, or something like that. Yeah. So he could have died for many, many different reasons, but that was supposed to be the story, that he swallowed the fly to try to impress my grandmother, and he ended up getting sick and ended up dying like two or three days later. Yeah, they're, they're, when we think of dirty things, right, uh, aside from maybe a cockroach, a fly is... <sighs> In Korean, the way that you say fly is dung potty, and dung, dung potty. means actually dung, which yeah. is shit, and potty is fly, so it's a shit fly. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So, yeah, he snatches the fly out of the air, gets out of bed, because he's noticed that he's changing. He's also noticed that he has become suddenly a physical specimen, a gymnast, if yep. you will. Sits in his chair, puts his hands on the uh, rests, pushes himself up, rotates up, and starts uh, doing, I don't know what this exercise would be called, like a push-up, but with only your arms, your hands touching the ground. A uh, vertical push-up, I guess. Makes sense. Sounds right. Yeah. For somebody yeah. who needs to lose 20 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> then he runs and jumps up into the air, catches onto a bar in the warehouse, and he starts doing a really cool gymnast routine on it. Um, and the body double that they got is actually pretty good. It's pretty close. Yeah. The, the guy's yeah. hair is a little bit tighter, but it looks like Jeff Bumble. Oh, it works. It's, a, it's yeah. a hard scene to shoot, apparently, because professional gymnasts tend to be very small, compact men. Yeah, uh, they're very rarely over five foot six. Uh, yeah, but apparently it was done. It was made easier by the fact that Jeff Goldblum actually is in terrific shape, at least at this part of his life. Yeah. Um, I mean, are you wait? Are you, I was just gonna say, Faustus. Are yep. you going to say that that man is not in shape right now? I'm sure he's in great shape right now. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, whether he's like as as athletic as he was in 1986 mm. is open. I mean, you know, so very like he, unlikely. Who of us? Yeah. Are, who of us are like how we were in 1986? That's true. Uh, but he was like incredibly, incredibly, you know, versatile at that time. And so he could at least start the moves, which made it easier to film. Uh, hmm. Nice. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And then he also sticks the landing, which is important. Yep. Uh, <laughs> That's the most important part. Of course. Yeah. It's what everything leads up to. The last thing that you see. Yes. Uh, so then they go out shopping. Uh, he purchases a lovely um, heart necklace. Uh, for Veronica, and then off to go get a coffee Which and some cannolis. Interestingly significant, given that she had declared that she does not wear jewelry in an earlier scene. Mm -hmm. Oh, true. I didn't. I didn't pick up wow, on that. Wow! Holy shit! That's yeah. right. Damn, yeah. Faustus. God damn. Yep. So they're sitting and having a uh, cappuccino, and uh, Tim, I don't know how you take your coffee. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Certainly not with 18 scoops of sugar. Uh, no, I remember the first time when I first started drinking coffee so I could be, quote unquote, an adult. I would have mm -hmm. maybe like three sugars. Mm. But then it eventually mm -hmm. got down to where I was just ordering it was just like one sugar. Because okay. otherwise you're not drinking coffee, you're just drinking sugar with milk. Yeah, and Veronica has that exactly that line. Do you ever have any coffee with your sugar? It's <laughs> which, like, he, which he pays no attention to at all because he's like he's like Mr. Cocaine feed. Oh yeah, yes. here it is. Where yeah, he is snorting something in that fucking bathroom, and he's going to that bathroom every five fucking minutes. Yeah, um, he's ranting and raving, and and uh, and is there barely... anybody else who could pull this off besides Jeff no. Goldblum? The way that he, I mean, no. it's just. <laughs> Maybe Crispin like... Glover. Maybe think very carefully about what I'm feeling and why. I'm beginning to think the sheer process of being taken apart, atom by atom, and then put back together again. It's like coffee being filtered. It's somehow purifying process. It's purified me. It's cleansed me. It allowed me to realize the personal potential I've been neglecting all these years, and I've been obsessed with pursuing goal after goal. It just goes on and on, and that kind of like. Damn, you took fucking notes, Faustus. <laughs> well, been, like I said, I have, this, I have I have the screenplay in front of me, so I can actually yeah. Yeah, I, I can read that. But yeah, and so this is the way he kind of hand waves away the denial of of uh, per, perhaps the experiment went wrong. Maybe it purified me. Maybe it's uh, taking all of my atoms apart and reorganizing them. Got rid of junk, filtered me. Yeah. Which still, if a he's a scientist, that makes right? no sense. May have gone horribly right. Yeah. Yeah, and again, this well, is the Spider-Man, right? Well, not only that, You're but that's bitten. what you would say the first time that you did cocaine. Where has this been my whole life? This is what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, oh, my fucking yeah. God, I've wasted all this time and energy not doing this fucking cocaine. That's true, yeah, yeah. And and uh, uh, not paying attention to the reality of, of the matter, so. Yeah, because she, like, he actually like describes said, it she such. says something and he just completely glosses right over yeah. Yep. And, and he uh, later he actually describes it as such because um, all all he can say is that it has made him a god of a man, and so they go back to the lab again more uh, more sexy time. And I think he can't... says what it is is he said it makes a man a king, and mm -hmm. then he follows it up with catch me if you can. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah, then I have written down porn length banging. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not only too long for you, Tim, but it's too long for Veronica. I mean, come on, he can't have any fluids. That's left why I wrote down porn length because <laughs> no woman wants to be banged out for an hour and forty-five minutes. Yeah. Well, I mean, none that I know. Oh wait, did I just do a Ben Shapiro? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get wet. Or maybe maybe a reverse Ben Shapiro, because how would you find that out? Well, oh, that, all right. That's, all right. Yeah, you know, Faustus, thank yeah. you. All right. I can't wait until we have a drink. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she says, all right, we, we got to take a little break. Come on. They uh, retire to the kitchen where he gets himself a uh, pint of ice cream. It looks like it's cookies and cream, but I could be wrong. Uh, and she gets that the would scissors. Have the most sugar, wouldn't it? Probably, yeah. And she gets the scissors to start trimming those hairs on his back. And my word, but they are thick. So he eats some ice cream and suddenly gets a thought. Hey, I have an idea. Why don't we teleport you, Veronica? Then you can keep up with me. You don't understand, Veronica. It's like a power. It's like a drug, but it's pure and benign. 
Well, I think what it is is now that she's like cutting those hairs off, that's like he's kind of like putting a shield up, right? Where like now she's going to investigate yeah. what's going on with them, and instead of doing that, yeah. no, no, don't do that. Let's do some coke together. That yeah. will be great. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry that I'm losing weight from all the coke. Let's uh, just go do some together. Then we don't even have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. You won't <laughs> care about me losing weight anymore, or growing hairs out of my back. Yeah, and you'll understand it. Uh, she tells him no, and uh, I don't want to do it. I'm I'm scared. You know. He tells her, you know what? You're just a fucking drag. Uh, she says, coke no, something, talk. something went wrong here with this whole thing. He's all right, fine. If you're not going to do it with me, fuck it. I'm going to go find somebody else. Coke and this talk. rant, this rant that he goes into. You're afraid scene. to dive into the plasma pool, aren't you? You're afraid to be destroyed and reconstituted, aren't you? You think might think that you will want, you're the one to teach me about the flesh, but you only know society's straight line about the flesh. You can't penetrate beyond society's sick gray fear of the flesh. Drink deep or taste not the plasma spring. You see what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about sex and penetration. I'm talking about penetration beyond the veil of the flesh. A deep, penetrating drive into the plasma pool. Then he storms out. Um, Jesus Christ, yeah. the fucking dialogue in this movie. Yeah, they really, so they really good. went for it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 bet you, I bet you Jeff Golden had a lot of fun delivering these. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It Again, I funny. can't think of any other actor back then that could have pulled this fucking role off with doing that kind of no. like fucking fast talk and being like manic and then being fucking all slow and depressed. Yeah. And what's funny is he like they the studio was very, very hesitant to bring uh, Jeff Goldblum on too. They they thought he wasn't he wasn't pulling any money, basically. Um before this, what did he do? Nineteen eighty six. I know he had a show on T V called Ten Speed and Horseshoe. I think that was like his first big break. But what, like, what was Jeff Goldblum in 1986? I mean, I think there's like there's a minor role. First of all, there's 1974 where he shows up in the first Death Wish. Remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that's Death not a, Wish, that's not a, and then let's put not, him in not, the lead of the Fly. Is a big stretch. Not, not a big role. I mean, just um, I wonder. I wonder if I can find anything. Because I'm pretty sure the first thing, besides Death Wish, which I probably didn't recognize him in, the first thing that he did was some show, for, I think it was on ABC, and it was called Ten Speed and Horseshoe, or Ten Speed and Soft Shoe, or something like that, where they were like, hmm. detective yeah, team. Ten Speed and Brown Shoe, but after that, you've got him in the but big chill, the right stuff. It might have been like where it was like, um, Into the Night, Silverado. He was in the right stuff? Is this... Yeah, he was in the right, a minor, a small part in the right stuff. Yep. Uh, let's see if I can bring up anything else here. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, of course. Dimension. Yes, he's one of the one of the crew there, right? <laughs> yep, New Jersey. Yep. All right, he, but that's in that's a that's a cult movie now. Back then, yeah. when Buckaroo Banzai came out, it was a fucking disaster. No, not really. This this was kind of his first uh, first big, big thing. Yeah. 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 So maybe that's why the studio was like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" I get it, yeah. But, I mean, it's he fucking pulls it off. No, he, he's incredible. Um, and then he storms off ranting and raving, and he goes to a bar. Well, first he picks up a chocolate bar, and he goes to a bar. <laughs> he's walking down the street in Toronto at night, always a bad sign in a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Um, something bad is about to happen. He walks past oh, his yeah. blonde chick in a mink coat looking to go into a porn theater. Yep. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, 
that's the crossover. So you've got Brundlefly versus uh, <laughs> Rabbit versus Rabbit. Yeah. yeah, I think they'd be friends. Um, so no, but he he finds his own lady in the bar. Yep. This is a and, and we get the first line in forty nine minutes spoken mm-hmm. by someone who wasn't one of the main three characters. This woman yep. in the screenplay she's called Tawny. Mm-hmm. She's played by an actress named Joy Bushel or Bushell, yes. uh, who appeared in the Quest for Fire, Terror Train, and here's a wink at you, Grindbin people. She's the waitress in Pinball Summer. Wow, oh. Terror Train with Jamie Lee Curtis and David Copperfield. Yeah, I think that's it. Wow. Okay. Huh. She she like had a number of character roles for about ten years and then vanished off the face of the earth, as far as I can tell. Wow. Well, she's definitely fun in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, poor girl. Well, is she man. fun or is she one? And I spell that with so, a W. Yeah. Because there's two guys who are arm wrestling. And uh, Seth. And, <laughs> no, and I Eddie. Th- one of them looks like they don't want to arm wrestle. Do you know who this guy <laughs> yeah. is? He looks like he's, part of the pun, but he's strong arming this guy into arm wrestling him. But you know who, who you, the actor is? Um, that plays Marky? Yeah. Yeah. This is great. This is George Chuvalo. Yeah. Who is like a multiple time, like five time Canadian heavyweight boxing champion. Yeah. And he has wow. a remarkable career. He like he went the distance twice against Muhammad Ali. He fought George Foreman, he fought Joe Frazier, and he fought Floyd Patterson. And he was never knocked off his feet in the whole course of his career. So this is Rocky in Canadian? This guy is like a serious, yeah. serious heavyweight guy. I looked up his his, his career. He had ninety three career bouts. Of which he won seventy three, sixty three of them by knockout, Oof. <laughs> making him a member of a very elite club of heavyweight boxers because there aren't oh, that yeah. many people who win by that many knockouts. No, uh, no, apparently, no. when he when he was eighteen years old, he did his first amateur night. It was like a kind of it was done. Um, and he knocked out four guys on one night. And it was average. <laughs> it was an open mic. He was doing stand-up comedy. People yep. were laughing uh. at him. He knocked out four motherfuckers. And they went, wait a second. Forget the and comedy. <laughs> Cronenberg basically said he's the sweetest, most gentle guy I've ever, you know, I, I ever had to direct. He had forearms the size of my thighs. And I thought, well, that may be true. On the other hand, if I were up against this, if I were facing this guy who went twice the distance with Muhammad Ali... I'd probably mm. also say he was the sweetest, most gentle guy I ever met. Uh, yeah, oh, that's right. That he smelled like a mountain meadow in spring, uh, and that he was yeah. like you know smarter than Einstein. So it's sort of yeah. <laughs> he and I would be very agreeable. That's yes. for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, because he is a mountain of a man. Yep. Oh my god. Uh, and all uh, Seth though he's not intimidated by this. He says, "Look, I'll uh, I'll bet a hundred dollars, I could beat." Anybody, any of you guys. And by the way, winner also gets to take this lady home. <laughs> yeah, because you get like, the impression what? that she's the uh, the arm wrestling champs uh, girl, right? Yeah, yeah. Tawny's like, what? Wait, says who? <laughs> but uh, uh, it's too late. And, uh, she doesn't say anything. It's the guy who mm, says what? Yeah. Well, well Marky says... Uh, Ah, don't worry, it'll be an easy hundred dollars. Oh boy, that is not an easy hundred dollars because nineteen eighty six hundred bucks, like what, five hundred bucks now? Well, it's Canadian money. dollars. Oh, oh okay. true, like a thousand dollars, hundred loonies. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so they uh, they square up. We get our over the top moment, but uh, instead of uh, rotating his wrist, we see fluid starts to come out. 
yep. from uh, Seth's fingers. They have their back and forth, and uh, then just suddenly, with a burst of strength, Seth fucking snaps Marky's uh, wrist, and the bones pop out. Forearm, you see a broken... Yeah. Ugh. Doesn't look good. Nope. No. No. I would not be a fan. And then I, and again, I note here, this is another one of those kind of shock body horror elements that's thrown in. At about um, the 20-minute mark. Yep. <laughs> uh, keeps you interested, that's for sure. Uh, but we're we're starting to get now a little bit of Seth's uh, blatant disregard for for humanity, for people. Because right. and again, because he needs something, something to fuck. That's why he's doing this, right? Uh, I think it's it's that, but it's also the well. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get drunk, and I'm going to uh, fuck with you because how dare you challenge me, mm-hmm. Veronica? Um, first time I teleport myself. This time I'm going to go find somebody else who will teleport for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very mature. Yeah. Not at all. So he brings her, uh, brings old Tawny back, but but on the way she says, uh, "Let's let's go to a few more bars first. <laughs> Maybe I need to have a couple more drinks to get what just happened." I need out to of my numb head. myself because <laughs> I just yeah. let myself be one in a fucking arm wrestling match. Yep, yep. But it doesn't matter because she gets. Uh, Swept off of her feet and carried up the stairs, up many, many flights of stairs very quickly and very frantically. And the music uh, matches that as well, up to uh, Seth's warehouse, his lab, where he teleports himself again just to impress her or maybe to make her feel more comfortable with or the Or is he, I think what he's doing, I think at this point, I think he still thinks he's making himself more quote unquote pure. Mm, yeah, I think he thinks be. every time he. I think uh, if anybody's ever read Rant by uh, Chuck Palahniuk, I think that's mm-hmm. what he's doing. I think he's trying to purify himself by going through that transporter each and every time. Mm, could be, could be. And then they make um, sex, not really love. Uh, <laughs> they make sex. <laughs> he sort of does it to her though, because she's kind of like sprawled out over a chair. Well, at this point, um, she's been to, what, four different fucking bars, right? Yeah. That's at least four fucking drinks. Yeah, not doing not doing great. So then the next morning, we, we get up, and he says, all right, time to teleport you. Let's go. She's like, look, uh, I don't know about that whole teleporting thing. Why don't we just go get some breakfast? And he tells her, look, don't worry about it, okay? We're, I'm going to fucking teleport you. He starts getting kind of physical with her. Says, let's go, let's go, let's do it. You don't, you don't need to be afraid. And then Veronica shows up, rounds the corner, and utters the line. Oh, be afraid. Be very afraid. The line that every fucking buddy knows. Even if you haven't seen this movie, you have heard that line somewhere on The Simpsons, Family Guys. Robot chicken, whatever, it has been heard a million times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and from what I've seen, the inspiration of this was Mel Brooks, the uh, producer. Oh, that's right, this. yeah, we, we buried the lead. <laughs> Young we Frankenstein did. produced this movie. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. The producers with, produced uh, this movie. Yeah, but he didn't want his name to really be attached to it because he felt then people wouldn't take this film seriously. Oh, hell fucking... If you saw fucking Mel Brooks brings you yeah. the fly, yeah, you are going yeah. in expecting a completely different movie and there would have been fucking riots in the fucking aisles if you oh, put yeah. his fucking yeah. name on this and then people showed up, right? <laughs> Wait, where the fuck is Madeline Kahn? Where's Harvey Corman? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I have not laughed once. Maybe once. <laughs> Seth Brundle was my boyfriend. <laughs> R.I.P. Cloris Leachman. That's right. Oh, God damn it. Oh, God damn. 94, right? Yeah. 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 So, Tawny leaves. She's getting the fuck out of there. Veronica breaks it down for Seth. She says, look, man, you've changed. You look bad. Note, he does look bad. His face uh, yeah, appears to be Yeah, he's been progressively bruised. getting worse looking. Yeah. You look Hawk-marked. bad. You smell bad. Yeah, well, uh, never been much of a bather. <laughs> what a great line. And she said, oh, by the way, the, the hairs uh, from your back, I took them and I had them analyzed. He says, well, that's an odd thing to do. And she says, yeah, I'll tell you what's really odd about that. They were not human. They were likely insect hairs. You look sick, Seth. And he says, sick? What do you mean sick? I'll show you sick. And just starts punching holes in the wall. Because, you know, no woman has ever made you mad enough to punch a wall. <laughs> yeah, and you know what women really love is when their dudes, their husbands, their boyfriends punch a hole through the fucking wall. Yeah. Landlords love that also. Punch the support yeah. beam. You know? No, yeah, that's true. Excellent, it, excellent choice for an old warehouse. Yeah, yeah. Punches the shit and blows it apart to the support beam. So uh, he's certainly powerful. And then he tells her, uh, you know what? Get out of here. I don't need you now. Because, uh, well, he really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So now we see him kind of uh, going from the powerful person that he was and he's recessing back into himself and into his isolation uh, that he had before. He goes into the bathroom and he tries to shave with an electric razor. And I've had this experience and it's the fucking worst. It's <laughs> Damn, Eddie, what the fuck? I get very dense uh, facial hair. In, like if I shave right now, in five minutes, it'll look like I haven't shaved for a day. <laughs> um, it's bad. So uh, I, I get, uh, I'll actually sometimes get these little bumps on my face and I scratch it and then I'll pull out a, a bundle of uh, whiskers that have twisted around themselves. Wait, you mean an ingrown hair? Ingrown hair would be singular, sir. This is a bundle of nine to wow. ten hairs. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So if I use these uh, electric razors, sometimes it'll catch on this hair and twist it and pull it and yank it out rather than cutting it. Uh, so I, I feel for you. You need Seth. sharper fucking blades on your uh, razor then. Should be cutting Maybe that shit need... right off. You know what we need is we need like Dollar Shave Club or one of those sponsors. Uh yeah. If only, right? Dollar Shave Club sounds like a sounds like they wouldn't be just needing a fucking bullshit ad all the time. 
<laughs> yeah. No, uh, the best thing that I shave with actually is I use an old uh, um, double-edge razor with a safety uh, uh, razor. But that no takes straight a while. edge. I've tried straight edges. There are too much really? maintenance. I, I've yeah. never had the guts to do a straight edge. They're they're not that bad. Um, it's just about using the right angle. You yeah, know. that's what I mean. Like, how the fuck do you figure that out? Practice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can only practice so many times before it gets fucked up, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, you'd have to really try to cut yourself bad with one. Um, anyhow, he tries to shave, doesn't work, hairs don't want to budge. And then he starts chewing on his nails. And this is a dirty, disgusting habit that I have. Um, came from playing guitar, actually, is having no fingernails helps. Okay. But uh, he peels one of his fingernails straight fucking off. And like fingernail kind of pain. I mean, Cronenberg certainly knows the parts of the body to to show his suffering to that we can all relate to on a very human level. Because he pops that fingernail off and starts feeling around and squeezing around it. And we see the fluid dripping from the other fingers. And, well, uh, we get a nice little splurt from that that nail bed with uh, fluid that flies onto the mirror. So now, now he's uh, worried. He goes over to the computer and uh, has a conversation with the computer via text, which I, I love the way that this is handled. There's something very clinical and programmatic about the computer's language that, that works very well. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's almost infantile, too, you know? Well, yeah, because so I think he actually asked the computer. To, he just types in a question into the mm -hmm. computer, and the computer just answers it. Yeah. And in, in a lot of programmatic language, it's always like if, then, else, that kind of thing. If this, then, this, else, this, I remember what? learning basic computer programming. And, yes, it was always yeah. if, then, is less than or more than than this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he asks it if primary element is Brundle because he pulls the tape of, of the thing that happened and he notices that there's a secondary element during his teleportation. Mm -hmm. So he asks the computer if primary element is Brundle, what is secondary element? Not Brundle. So then he watches the, the tape and we see it, a fly in his ointment. He says, okay, well, if secondary element is fly, what happened to secondary element? Fusion. Then he asks... Did Brundle absorb fly? Negative. Fusion of Brundle and fly at molecular genetic level. Oh, oh boy. No coming back from that. Nope, 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 nope. Now, and going forward, though, when he refuses to this, or when he uh, refers to this, he doesn't call it a gene splicing. He doesn't call it anything like that. He says it's a disease. Which I think is an interesting choice. Um, well, back then, did people even really know what gene splicing was? Sure. They do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were genetically modifying um, um, plants and, and hybridizing that kind of stuff before. Uh, so so the, the concept certainly was there. But it's interesting that he, he, it's almost like a denial to call it a disease, right? Because a disease is an other that is foreign or alien and it is not you. It is something that needs to be killed or expelled or rejected from its host. But 
and in here is where the fly is different because it's it is the host right there there is no difference there is no distinction between brundle and fly no they're f- completely fused together yeah yeah so i think there there might be shades of a of a denial of this um yeah so we four weeks later we cut to and he gives Veronica a call. He tells her, uh, look, it's gotten worse, and I need you to come see me. I need you to help me. And there's the help me that they had to retake <laughs> repeatedly from the original because uh, everybody was laughing too much. <laughs> <laughs> but in here, it's in, in earnest. You know, he's oof, certainly out of sorts. And... The note that I have on this scene when she returns to his place is that it's almost the exact same shot from the first time she goes into the warehouse. Hmm. Um, we see the vantage point of her coming down the, the steps from the, uh, the, the sliding door, and we see the piano, but there is no Seth. We see everything is kind of in disarray. It's a real mess. Basically, everything is littered with, like, you know, food, especially, you know, yeah. containers and various things. It interestingly prefigures the final scenes in Dead Ringers, which are, uh, which... Yeah. Uh, Another yeah. great fucking movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, external environment reflects the internal uh, Seth Brundle. <laughs> Definitely. It's been corrupted and polluted. And we find that out when she... Finally, finds Steth, and he stumbles out with a couple of canes. Um, he's bandaged up and gloved up and covered up most of his body, which I guess is an easy kind of a, a way to not have to do too many different practical effects. Uh, plus, I mean, it, at this point, I believe the makeup was taking him five hours uh, <laughs> to to have applied to. Yeah. I'm surprised it's only five Jeff hours. Goldblum. Yeah, no, um, because it looks horrible. It looks terrible, his face. He, he He's barely a human at this point. So he is explaining to her, or tries to explain to her what's going on, and reaches over and he grabs himself a donut. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. How does Brundle eat? Okay, well, we're about to find out. Yeah, well, how does Brundle eat? He, uh... <sighs> He pukes on the donut, and it's you can tell that he's used to doing this. This is his thing, and it's like, oh shit, people, right? Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. He looks up at her and says, "Oh, that's disgusting." Anyhow, <laughs> she, uh, well, she she feels bad for him. She feels sorry for him. She approaches him and gives him a hug, and but not before he loses an ear. Yeah, the ear yeah. comes off first, right? Which. Yeah, his ear falls off, and from what I understand, that was not intentional. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Even yeah. better. But they made and, it uh, work. <laughs> yeah, it fell off. She responded to it like, oh. And they're like, no, let, let's leave that in. That works. That's true love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. So she gives him a hug, and he's, well, he's scared, you know. And it's so ironic, almost, that the beginnings of this teleportation device was because he gets motion sick and throws up. And now look at him. Wow. 
throws up to God eat. Damn, look at that. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Veronica, of course, immediately goes to the only other person that she can talk to, because very few people get lines in this. Uh, she goes back to Stathis to tell him, look, man. We need to do something here. Yeah, he something is, He is not sold. Nope. Uh, he says, look, uh, maybe go tape him. Go uh, take a video, bring it back to me, show me, and I'll come up with something. Right. So she goes back to, to Seth's warehouse and again can't find him. Only this time, it seems like he's doing a little better. Uh, physically, mentally, maybe not so much because he's uh, upside down climbing on the wall. Yeah, another great fucking effect, too. Yeah, yeah. Done wonderfully. Look, it looks great. And he says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not scared anymore because I figured out what the disease wants. It wants to turn me into something else, something new. Uh, Brundle fly. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and again, he's referring. And, and he, had, he has a, a great line in here. He says, it mm. wants to turn me into something else. That's not too terrible, is it? Most people would give anything to be turned into something else. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a very, a very Cronenberg line. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, in a lot of Cronenberg's works, it's, uh, we'll almost see it, 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 it often kind of comes from the perspective of the disease or of the, of, of the uh, infection. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also almost a transhumanism aspect that we're going to, because there are many ways where Brundle Fly at this point is superior to Seth Brundle, right? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe he's kind of begrudgingly accepting it. Well, he's just like giving uh, himself over to it. Right. Yeah. But, but and, and to say what the disease, again, not a disease, what the disease wants implies sentience of it, right? It's giving it a character. Um, or at least a telos, right? A goal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, there is a destination that it is taking us on or, or two. So he says, uh, hey, you know what? Why don't we tape it, right? That's what we do. Let's set up a camera. And I'm like, wow, this is convenient because Sathis actually wanted a videotape of it. So good. And he says, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it'll probably be worth a Nobel Prize to uh, the, the first Brundlefly. I'm a new thing, right? Let's, let's document it for the children. For he the sits kids. down. <laughs> do they give Pulitzer Prizes for kiddies' books? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh. They certainly don't start this way, that's for sure. So he says, all right, guys, how does the Brundle fly eat? Well, like a fly, my teeth are useless. Figured that out the hard way. <laughs> so uh, hard foods, well, they uh, screw my stomach up. So, well, what I do is I uh, vomit drop, I like to call it, uh, an enzyme onto this that is corrosive. And then I slurp it on up. Nice sound. And I just, the note that I have is Cronenberg, uh, if, if, if body horror could be a genre that, that he's famous for, I would also say gushy is a genre of Cronenberg. Oh, wow. Cronenberg. Good word. Gushy. <laughs> gushy. Because then we cut to uh, Sathis watching this tape. 
and the sounds whew, not pleasant yep and we already we don't actually see the scene we see his face which yeah. is a fine, great piece of acting by john getz he just looks appalled. yeah yeah and uh and we know we don't see if he he was throwing up on the uh donuts or the cinnamon rolls so i guess that'll just have to live in our minds i i'm guessing the cinnamon rolls <sighs> they're probably glazed right well i mean they were <laughs> eventually <laughs> and uh well veronica is also there and well she's not having a good time she's very sad and at first you're just like well of course because look at what has happened to the man that she loves but no it turns out that she is heavy with child tim <laughs> oh boy what you gonna do and yeah what are you going to do because it's seth's baby and uh, the note i have here is i should cut to the sound effect of a vacuum uh, <laughs> but i won't and that's kind of her thought too, right? Right. <laughs> we probably should get she rid of this. She's somebody with the fly swatter. Yeah. <laughs> Raid. <laughs> Just lob a bug bomb up there and call it a day. <laughs> oh yeah. So now she, uh, as far as we know, goes in to have an abortion. Yep. We cut to her, and the, she keeps saying that she's uh, losing the baby and she's crying over it and she doesn't want to lose the baby but uh now we wheel her into the operating room and uh well the gynecologist comes out and i for one am sure he's going to do an excellent job once you hear that voice you know he knows what he's doing right mm-hmm mm -hmm. uh because folks here's our cameo from uh mr cronenberg himself as the gynecologist He's playing the gynecologist. Apparently, um, he didn't want to, but I guess, I guess it's not something that he normally does. You know, like uh, Hitchcocking. Apparently, Gina Davis felt more comfortable with him in that position than with another actor, hmm. because she's essentially grown to feel trusting of the, you know, of Cronenberg, but not necessarily anyone else. Yeah. Uh, so Wait, was she that. really naked underneath the fucking uh, table? Well, I don't know if she was, but she, he's still down there. He's between her legs in a vulnerable position. Yeah. So it's you know it is I I can sort of see the the idea that this is a yeah. this is kind of frightening, um and again another prefigure of dead ringers as well because of mm. oh yeah of that's right mm -hmm. so uh, uh, and not to mention I mean he he isn't just sitting there he gets up and starts pushing on her torso, and telling her you know push push there's uh because we didn't get it all there's more mm -hmm. and uh, a boy, lot is there, more. A lot more because she, uh, well, she gives birth to a big ass maggot and it's writhing and fleshy and, ugh. and that's okay. It was a nightmare. So thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. And at least two actresses turned down the, this role because of that scene. Do you know who they were? Mm, no. Not off the top of my head. And neither do you. So we cut to Seth, and he's uh, typing up a new program into his computer called the Brundlefly Project. So he comes up with the problem. And the problem is that we need to refine the fusion program uh, to decrease the fly percentage in Brundlefly. 
And he has a solution, he thinks, of how to do this. Well, take Brundlefly and one or more pure human subjects and then fuse them together, right? Because then there would be less fly. It so would he's, be more yeah, human. he's going to try to dilute himself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says, all right, this is a, this is a great idea. Let's uh, run a tape of it. Right. But the computer doesn't recognize his voice anymore because he's no longer Seth. That's right. Something um, different. Uh, one of the final and probably most intimate parts of our humanity is uh, our voice, right? It's how everyone recognizes us. It's what you're listening to right now. And okay. this is. You can say that again. Yeah. This is gone from him now. It's been taken from him. And uh, I know in earlier versions of the of the script, um, it, he was to lose his, his ability to speak uh, a little more early on in the film entirely. Um, but, you know, Cronenberg comes in and, and he's like, no, we're, we're going to, I mean, he needs more dialogue. Come on. Uh, good decision. Yeah. You've got lots yeah. more. Yeah. Because in the original fly, there is no fly. The transformed scientist has no dialogue. Um, yeah. He can just yeah. buzz. And he, when he wants to communicate, he has to type messages on a typewriter. Yeah. Yeah. But this is no just kind of tent Polish movie monster movie. <laughs> this is. Yeah. This is Cronenberg, right? This is right. all about what makes us a man. So uh, <laughs> we're just going to get rid of all that. Switch over to manual input. And then, uh, hey, how about all of our teeth just fall out? What a day. Man, haven't we all been there? Uh, you know, when like four or five just fall out, you might as well just do the rest, right? Yeah, exactly. Just pick them all out. You know, the computer's fucking up. You finally have an idea you're trying to type on, and all your fucking teeth fall out, man. I like the way they uh, fall out, too. They don't fall out on the actual keyboard. They fall out right above the keyboard. Yeah, and just kind of slide down with mm -hmm. little blood, little... Yeah. So he scoops them all up, goes into the bathroom, puts them in the Brundle Museum. <laughs> uh, his uh, medicine cabinet... That now has in a jar his ear. It's got his teeth in it, and he's got a great speech here. If you've got it, Faustus. Well, there's the where did we go? Basically, Veronica has shown back up. Yes, yes. And you know she is she's basically coming to see him one last time, um, or what gets the sense from her perspective. It's supposed to be one last time, mm -hmm. and after the Brunel Museum of Natural History, he has the speech about. Insect politics, he asks, have you ever heard of insect politics? And she shakes her head. She has no idea what he's talking about. He says, well, neither have I. Insects don't have politics. His voice is still there, but it's becoming distorted and you know, odd. It's, they're very brutal. No compassion. No compromise. We can't trust the insect. But I'd like to become the first, first insect politician. I'd like to... But I'm afraid. Veronica says, I have no idea what you're trying to say. He says, I, I, I'm saying that I don't feel very human anymore. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. I thought, that's real. This is a this is very eerie. Yeah. The thing that made me think of is there's this, the, the, the dream of Zhuangzi, the famous dream of the man who dreamed he was a butterfly. Woke up mm. and wondered whether he wasn't really just a butterfly dreaming he was a man. 
Yeah. And this is a kind of grisly parody of that, that vision. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's why it's such a great movie, because it yeah. works on so many different levels. So you're just sitting there in the movie theater watching with your girlfriend and your friends eating popcorn. It's a good fucking horror movie. And then you really stop and think about the fucking dialogue like that. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. And he tells her, I'm also saying, if you stay, I'll hurt you. Yep. Because he, that one of the last little bits of humanity in him recognizes shit's about to go very bad. Well, yeah, because he's going to turn into a fucking insect. And insects, like yeah. he said, they're not going to like, oh, this is somebody that I had sex with who's pregnant with my baby. This is something that's here. I'm going to eat it. Well, at this point, he doesn't know that she's pregnant, right? Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, sir. So she leaves, and then she is outside talking to Sappis about, we need to go now. To he's get, sort of to... shouting at him, essentially. Yeah. Because yeah. Sappis is unclear about the idea of getting an abortion in the middle of the night, but she is insistent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but from up above, Brundlefly is watching and, and hears kind it. like a fly this... on the wall. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, and she, she, but she is insistent. Like you said, she tells him, look, I don't want this in my body. And again, it's the, now this is her version of the body horror, right? Yep. Now she has been invaded by whatever this thing is, and she luckily has the option to get it taken out. Uh, maybe. We'll see. Uh, I don't <sighs> count the sequel, by the way. <laughs> uh, competent, but not or nowhere the near. Or the deleted final scenes, but we'll... Yeah. But yeah. we'll get to that. Uh, so, yeah. fortunately, Stathis, as major science journalist, has some contacts. Yeah, I have a note. Stathis, of course, knows a guy you can get a midnight abortion from. <laughs> At two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, Stathis is my hero. At this point, he's redeeming himself, huh? Yep. Wow, you're hero, a huh? Better guy. In this movie, he's my hero. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he, he uh, is arguing with the, or they're arguing with the doctor. And they're like, look. Um, now, remember, who's the doctor? You, know you know who the actor who's just playing this doctor, right? He looks familiar uh, to me, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. know he who he is. is uh, Leslie, I mean, Leslie Carlson. Carlson. We last say yeah. playing Barry Convex in Videodrome. Yes, yes. He's the villain, oh, in, he's yeah. the villain in Videodrome. Well, is Barry so, Convex the villain? Well, yeah. A Bloody okay. Bits All-Star. <laughs> yeah, Bloody wow, Bits All-Star in another Cronenberg flick. Yep. He he has his uh, stable that he likes to yep. dip back to. Yeah. So he's arguing. He's saying, look, I don't, I don't know. Why, really? Are you sure? Because you guys sound like you're not super duper sure. And... They basically tell him, like, look, uh, we're afraid the baby's going to be disfigured. The father was disfigured. And um, he says, well, I mean, maybe we should do some tests. And she gets indignant. Tests? What do you mean test? No, I don't want fucking tests. I want it out of me. Tests can't guarantee anything. Yeah. Well, well not only that, but she wants an abortion. Why is he questioning anything? Just like I want it, so she should be able to get it, right? Yeah, it was it was a bit taboo to get an abortion back then, Tim. Nineteen eighty six. I mean, I mean, it's never not something that's, that's right. uh, not controversial, but nineteen eighty six. Yeah. It wasn't exactly like it was like 
probably I think it was maybe easier back then than it is now. Oh wait. Potentially, yeah. Let's hope. Well all this is also Canada. Yeah. All right. True. So you are in a slightly different cultural and legal context. Okay. All right. Uh and it may also be seen as part of the good practice of medicine. You know, if you have a, a patient who comes in and says, I want an abortion right now, uh to say, you know, do you are you sure? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he's not really persistent about it. He's just kind of questioning her. And uh, yeah, then she says, well, the baby could be born normal and then slowly change mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and kind of drifts off onto that speech. <laughs> so they're like, all right, never mind. Uh, wheel her ass out back and I'll uh, go get the Hoover. Well, we'll take care of this shit. There's a, there's a deleted line as he, as he puts her in the You said the Hoover, don't you mean the dirt devil? It's a basic... <laughs> Cheevers, the name of the physician, turns on the yeah. TV in the room. Uh, he says, "I found TV to be the best anesthetic," <laughs> which is, I think, <laughs> which I think is a callback to video drawing, of which course, which unfortunately got left on the cutting room floor here. Oh, um, they should have left that in. That's yeah. so good. Damn. And so, this, uh, does Cronenberg made, do callbacks made... to his movies? I don't think he does. Right. Mm. So maybe that's why all that shit was cut out. Well, he, I mean, he presumably someone wrote this. Probably him. There's a yeah. joke that follows it actually, which says he turns the TV on. And it's a commercial for Pampers, and there are adorable <laughs> little kids toddling around. He says, "Oh shit, maybe no TV." <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, so that's why this line. That's got a cut. good one. Okay, it, it was a joke in poor taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like the kind of joke that that I would appreciate. So they had to get rid of it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> we're having a little too much fun. Um, so yeah, we're uh, about ready to get the abortion. Everybody's getting scrubbed up and ready to go, but then. Brundlefly Kool-Aid man's in through the window and uh, grabs her. And she's it's weird because she's resistant to it, but... She looks relieved almost, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not just a window, actually. It's a glass brick wall that he crashes yes. through. Yeah, yeah, that, that takes some right. This guy must be really forceful. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's motivated, that's for sure. Mm. Because then... He has this conversation with her about it. And he says, look, I want you to have the baby. Uh, you don't want to kill Brundle. Kill me. Little Brundle. And, yeah. And the note I have is it's, it's almost like a insect hive mind. Well, thing. no, see, actually, I was going to say, I think this is maybe this last part of his humanity. Because would an insect, a fly, all right? Mm -hmm. A dung potty, a shit fly, garbage fly really yeah. care especially a male fly care about its offspring if anything True. if if it's a female that's become turning into a fly maybe she wants to protect her eggs or protect her babies but this is a fucking male fly going from piece of dog shit to a slice of pizza to banging another fly in midair and then going off in the world but this is so i think a fly. this is this his is last Rundle part of fly, I, I think this is the last part of his humanity yeah yeah, I sort of see it Tim's way. It's the last expiring piece of humanity. Yeah. I, I could see that. It's just the way that he refers to it as kill me uh, is interesting. Well, that's a typical man thing, right? This yeah. This is my awesome. That's true. Yeah. It's the last bit of him that will exist, and it's about to be snubbed out. So that, that makes sense, because his work is gone, right? So this is, that's really it. It's true. So uh, we go back to Brundle's lab now. 
where uh, Stathis has uh, brought a lovely case, uh, opens it up, and produces a double-barreled over-under shotgun, puts it together, loads it up, and goes to take a look at the computer. And we see a problem. Three pods with the intention of splicing subject A and subject B into subject C. Just then, Brundlefly dive bombs onto Stathis from the ceiling. Yeah, and dancing uh, on the ceiling. Oof, pukes on his hand. And by now, the puke is very potent. Uh, <laughs> and another great fucking effect. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It almost reminds me of in Videodrome, the hand grenade <laughs> um, with the, the chest cavity eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because it, but, but you really see this hand just fall apart right in front of you into a bloody stump. Um, then Stathis falls on the ground like you probably would. Still going for the gun, though. Still trying to, to stop Brundle. But uh, for his trouble, he gets another little dose of puke on his ankle. And that fucking melts, and that's gross. Then he stands up and he goes in for the kill. Goes right for the throat, but Veronica stops him. And he says, uh, looks up at Veronica, tells her, look, make me a human. Help me. Help me. Help me to be human. Help me to be human. Yeah. And at this point, the, I remember the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, he's going to throw Stathis into one of those and then himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, he, his intention is to put her and the baby into one pod and then him into the other. And boy, they can just be one big happy family. But how does that help him to be human? If anything, he has to know that putting the three of them in the fucking pod together with what happened with him and the fly. It's not going to work out where the three of them are going to come out fucking perfect human beings. Yeah. He's, like you said, he's thinking of diluting the amount of fly there is in him. And right, so then it's three parts so human all three and one of part them are a little bit of fly? Yeah. But uh, I'm reminded of the old adage, if you've got one pound of shit and ten pounds of chocolate, you've got eleven pounds of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, you just don't want any Brundle flying. hundred pounds of chocolate. Still 101 pounds of shit. Damn. Which is my favorite Disney movie, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, he, he forces her ass into one of the, the pods. Then he goes to go into his pod. But before this, they have a little tussle where Veronica rips his jaw off. Right. And then we get the full transformation to Brundlefly. Yeah. And again, incredible fucking special effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. practical effect. Practical effect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Award winning. Well, back then, practical effects were called <laughs> special effects still. So it wasn't everything that was just yeah. like computer generated when you heard special effects. Yeah. Yeah. The one um, Oscar that was won for a Cronenberg uh, film was this film. Yeah. Yep. That's a shame. And now it would all be CGI, and it would probably <sighs> look like shit. Yeah. It would be completely forgettable. Yeah. It would be at night. It'd be in rain. Yeah. There'd be clouds coming over the fucking moon. But no, just incredible puppet work. And and another note that I failed to mention earlier is um, when they were uh, working on the, the puppet work, 
for Brundle Fly, they asked Goldblum for a uh, a trait that they could imbue into all of their uh, practical effects for puppeting of him going forward. And Goldblum said, uh, well, uh, I do good twitching. So, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Desert. holy shit, yeah. yeah. So that's exactly what they put into all of the practical effects for him was uh, twitchiness because it and, translated over. And that's perfect for a fucking fly, right? Because if you ever see a fucking fly, they're all, like, <clears throat> all over the fucking yep. place where they're yep. at. Yeah, incredible. It worked so well. So, yeah, we uh, get all the, the flesh sloughed off and now we've got the bug eyes that as you've seen his head kind of change and reshape and the hair fall out you you kind of get the idea of those big uh bug eyes underneath of his skull um but now it's fully realized because he's just 189 pound fly <laughs> yep i have written uh, that all fly all fly pretty all fly for fly. a white guy nope I'm not going to give you that one, Tim. Oh, come on. All right, you get a little bit of it. Thank you. So Brundle, he, uh, Brundle Fly goes into his pod, shoves Veronica into her pod, of course, and just then, Stathis, as the door is shut, and we're at our finest moment with the clock counting down, well, he picks up the shotgun, and he shoots the pipes on the floor, right? That's what's connecting power, them. It's a power cables. Good move, right? Power cables, yeah, yeah. It's a good idea. Works. He works uh, at a science magazine, so he knows what he's doing. Yeah, cut off the power. Um. So then he, he goes over and opens up Veronica's uh, pod. And uh, he's, you know, going to take her out and let's, well, I guess let's see what happens with uh, Brundlefly over there, Seth. Well, Seth, he bashes open the glass front of his pod and starts to uh, come out of it. Unfortunately, he only gets about halfway out before, well, the teleportation takes effect. And now we see the final evolution of the Brundle fly. <laughs> um, the man, the fly, and the machine. Uh, as this gross half Brundle fly makes its way out of the pod being trailed by the power cable um, that's part of him. So you've got the fusion of the organic and the inorganic uh, completely realized. He is his work in every sense of the term now. And so Veronica gets the shotgun, holds it up to his fly head, but she can't do it. She puts the barrel of it down and cries a bit. But then Brundlefly grabs, very gently grabs the shotgun and puts it up to his own head. She tells herself, I can't, I, I can't do it. I can't. And then just blows his fucking head off. So roll credits because like any good Cronenberg movie, it ends with a slap right to the fucking face. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what happens? Does she keep the baby or does she have an abortion? Find out in The Fly 2, Son of a Fly. No. No. Son of no. a Fly. Yeah. So, uh, Faustus, you had some notes on the deleted there scenes. Two, there's a deleted scene at the end. Cronenberg, uh, I guess this was probably filmed, because Cronenberg in commentary said, you know, we couldn't figure out how to end this movie. Uh, the audience was just too devastated by what happened at, you know, what was now the end. 
Um, and the, the scene that I think he's referring to, there's like, it's basically, we cut to what is presumably several months later, you're inside Stathis's bedroom and Veronica is sleeping with him. He's got like an artificial hand. Uh, and, you know, she's immensely pregnant. Uh, and she's dreaming that, suffering from the dream that she's given birth to Brundle's baby. And he says, oh, this baby's mine, remember? Um, and so, you know, she goes back to sleep and then she dream. She has a dream uh, in which Veronica dream is about a gorgeous chrysalis, a butterfly's cocoon, that, that of a monarch butterfly, the chrysalis, a translucent jade green, hangs from a leaf in a brightly surreal landscape. The chrysalis begins to twist and turn as something inside struggles to be born. Finally, a beautiful human baby with gossamer insect wings emerges. The baby clings to the chrysalis for a few minutes, fanning its wings slowly until they dry. The baby then takes flight and disappears, leaving the burst and shriveled chrysalis behind. Cut back, interior Stathis' bedroom night in her sleep, Veronica is now smiling serenely. So they wrote these scenes, uh, yeah. and I guess filmed them, but the audiences didn't like them. I was going to say, there's no way that's going to sell for a fucking yep. horror movie in 1986 no. on a Friday night with me and my friends. Right. Nope. So they were never they were never released. They probably got lost, and now we have the movie that we have, and probably that's a good thing. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, it usually is. I don't see how else you could end it. You know, it's uh, maybe his last act of humanity is kill me. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to fucking be this anymore. Um, because he said earlier, without his work, he would be nothing. And, well, that's what he is. Well, yeah, because, Nothing. too, when uh, Getz shoots the fucking, when shoots him with the shotgun, he kind of, like, uh, fucks up the whole machine, too. When he's half yeah. transported, half the machine disappears. Yeah. And that's where it ends up in him. Yeah. So that's all the notes I have for the movie. Um... <laughs> I have a little more. Um, okay. We uh, There's this, uh, Cronenberg had an opinion about what his, this movie was like. And what mm -hmm. it meant. Uh, his end commentary. And so I took a rough transcription because it actually, it really struck me and I really enjoyed it. Uh, other mm -hmm. people may not really enjoy it, but I'll try to go through it as quickly as I can. He says something like, you know, the question of science and technology and morality and ethics is often raised in my movies. And of course, there's this romantic concept that you could be going too far and that you cannot assault the gods. All right, if you fly too close to the sun, the wax holding your mm -hmm. wings together melts and you fall to your doom. That's that's the myth of Icarus, yeah. uh, which we which I referenced at the beginning of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe in destiny per se, but I believe it is our nature to constantly change everything, question everything, try to understand everything, and it will inevitably create good and bad, and I don't think there's any stopping it. Of course, now that we've dived sort of dived into the plasma pool literally and we are dealing with DNA, and the double helix, and the actual structure of life itself, and the human body and human consciousness and so on. It's a Pandora's box which has been opened, and it will not be closed. And so we just have to accept that that is what our destiny is. Do all those things to try to change and control everything, and also fail at it. It's a constant struggling and a constant striving. And it's true that characters in my movies who often do that come to terrible ends, but I think this has more to do with the nature of drama than the nature of philosophy. It has to do with the fact that, as George Bernard Shaw says, conflict is the essence of drama. 
So if you have someone who comes up with a great invention or a great cure for a disease and it works, and that's the end of it, that's not much of a drama. So it's much more interesting dramatically and also more illuminating when things go wrong. It's when things go wrong that you understand the nature of when things go right. So I'm not trying to promote a conservative approach to science or art at all. And here's where it really gets me. It says, and I think you can see that too, that even what Brundle undergoes with what Brundle undergoes in this movie, there is an exhilaration. There is that, that incredible experience he has. And while you can say that while he ends up dying, one can say, well, well, we all end up dying. And perhaps mm -hmm. it's more interesting, more exciting, more thrilling, a better way to live than to have gone through an amazing transformation, an amazing adventure in your life, to die young, but to die young in an amazing way, having had a terrifically existing or provocative life. It's a toss up. You know, and I think that the flip of a coin, that flip of a coin, is where we are as humans. And I thought, okay, that's deeply meaningful for me because I write stories like that myself. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, this is the myth of Achilles. Uh, are you familiar with, if you, you've read the Iliad, right? Yeah. Okay, you know in book nine, there's this long conversation between Achilles and sort of a delegation that's been sent to him to try to get him out of his tent. Um, and he, at one point, Achilles, at lines 410 to 416, reflects uh, on the fact that he has a choice of fates. Um, you know, my fates, this is in Alexander Pope's verse couplet translation, which isn't very <laughs> literal and or too accurate, but is more poetic, so I'll use it. My fates long since by Thetis were disclosed and each alternate life or fame proposed. Here, if I stay before the Trojan town, short is my date. But deathless my renown, if I return, I quit immortal praise for years on years and long extended days. In effect, he's saying, look, I can either be here and fight in this war and die young and earn glory, or I can go home and like live a long and kind of boring life. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we know which way Achilles chooses, right? Yeah, so of course. there we go. We have that. And I think that that may be sort of the deeper mythic structure of the movie. Um, yeah. And, and not so much the, the Frankenstein narrative. No, no, the uh, not. It's not such a Promethean uh, stealing fire from the gods and then getting tortured forever for it. Though that does kind of happen here narratively. I think. I think you're right. I think I. I. I get where Cronenberg is going because very, very often, like you said, he has these characters that uh, fly too too close to the sun. But you know what? At least they flew. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Phenomenal reading of it. <laughs> That's why we have you on, Faustus. Well, this is, mm -hmm. this is, doing this sort of stuff is so much fun. You know, there's like, mm -hmm. and especially with these Cronenberg movies, there's so much to dig out. Um, yeah, yeah, truly. Uh, again, there could be so many different readings and interpretations of it that, uh, well, that's why I like having you on here for this. I was going to say, I, I think enjoy yours. is our go-to for anything Cronenberg. <laughs> I've already said Faustus. He's uh, he's got his flag in the Mount Cronenberg here uh, right. on the Bloody Bits Horror Show. You which have one do Cronenberg. So which one do we do next? <laughs> well, you've also got your flag for uh, Reanimator. So. Ah, yes, definitely. That's yeah. another. That's another extremely fun one. Oh, possibly yeah. not as possibly not as much material to dig out uh, no, philosophically, no. but hilarious well, and in another yeah. way, in other ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It could, it could certainly be uh, um, entertaining. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now, another, normally, another 
sense that the nineteen the mid eighties were kind of a good time to be watching movies. Uh, oh, absolutely, and that that's why with the blood bank, if you go and you look at the uh, films that I have on there for for uh, your, your uh, viewing pleasure, most of them are seventies and eighties horror. It was uh, that's when they were the best. It was a golden era, man. It really was. Uh, the the rush to tape and to fill all the tapes you can with as much as you can, whether it's good or not. <laughs> uh, so Faustus, normally on these episodes at the end of them, I like to ask people if there's a complimentary piece of fiction or film that they want to recommend because we've spoiled this all to hell. And if you haven't seen The Fly, I don't know what you're doing. But instead, for this month uh, of the Patreon picks, I had a different question that I floated to you. And that's okay. what scares you, not in film necessarily, just what scares you. Politics scares me, but um, <laughs> insect politics or human? no human politics? <laughs> yeah, because it's more like insect <laughs> politics than it is human politics. Yeah, no, because well, like that's where the real horror in human life seems to come from, right? Yeah, that's where it can all go wrong. I mean, it can go, it can actually go wrong in a lot of other ways. But that's the place where it repeatedly goes wrong. Uh, you know, even if nature is kind to us, we are not kind to ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, that's the thing that makes me most frightened. Mm, okay. Well, I think that about does it for this episode of the Bloody Bits Horror Show. Faustus, is there anything you would like to promote before I'll we go? I'll do a little plug. Do a lot of plugs. <laughs> if, you, if you can suffer it. Um, Please. No suffering. <laughs> <laughs> my little Twitter bio over at Erotic Mad Sci uh, is a good indicator of what I might have to plug. And it reads something like this. It says, I'm sorry I was ever born. I write dirty comics and the screenplays to movies I wish I could see but never will. And other stuff to deal with the fact that I am alive. And that's all true. I have been writing and publishing various erotic horror and sci-fi web comics at a rate of about a page a day since 2011. Wow. And if you go over to the site eroticmadscience.com, you can find almost all of them. A page a day for that long is a lot of material. That's and, no uh, easy feat. Yep. There's a lot of commissioned artwork, and there's also posts on things like dirty old pulp covers, which I may, of which I'm very fond. Mm -hmm. uh, the caveat I have to offer is that material over there really is adults only. Uh, so if you're not an adult who is somehow listening to this podcast anyway, uh, <laughs> kindly hold out for a while longer before coming to visit. Yeah, you know, Faustus, I'm sorry, this is a PG-13 podcast. Yeah, yeah now we're <laughs> PG-13 because of a fucking boner candy company. Uh, oh, I'd love to hear that you, story someday, you. but I'll, I'll, just to go on a little bit, with respect mm. to screenplays of movies I wish I could see and never will, I'm doing an experiment. Early in COVID quarantine, I dealt with my boredom by writing a screenplay called Auto Icon. Uh, it's a narrative meditation on what we live for and what might be making sacrifices for. So, you know, a philosophical work, maybe. Sort of see that that is how I podcast. Uh, one exception is it does have somewhat more tentacle sex than canonical works in Western philosophy generally do. Mm, okay. In order to make it palatable so that means for like my one panel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe deep in like, you know, Hegel's phenomenology of spirit, there's a lot, but nobody has ever gotten deep into that book, so they don't know. <laughs> uh in order to make it palatable for my readers, I've been having my longtime artistic collaborator Lon Ryden draw about two hundred and fifty quasi storyboards to go along with the text. Wow. 
I'm now publishing the screenplay and storyboards piece by piece over at eroticbadscience.com, and so I invite you to come take a look at it. I don't sell anything, but I do have some swag, some printed comics and postcards, that sort of thing. So if you have a postal address that you're willing to share with me, I will send you some. You're welcome to DM me on Twitter at, at eroticmadsci or email me at iago.faustus at gmail.com. That's I-H-E-O dot F-A-U-S-T-U-S at gmail.com. And I look, out, I look forward to hearing from you. Watch out for that hungry tentacle monster. <laughs> and I can personally vouch that, yes, I gave him my address and hmm. I got some incredible postcards, which I will never use to uh, mail anything, and the actual Bubbles comic book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With Same is that your actual time. handwriting, Faustus, or was that like fucking computer printed out on the what? postcard you sent me? On with the postcard, the, that with was bubbles. my handwriting. Jesus Christ, man! Is there anything you don't do great? Oh uh, yeah, lots of things. Just ask my wife. <laughs> well, <I'll> ask anybody's <laughs> wife. Yeah. You can get that one. Yeah, that's that's uh, the that's the source of the truth there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Tim. Anything you want to promote? Uh, no, I think I I'm coming up. Uh, I think we're doing a jungle. Uh, oh. Probably by the time it's come out, we won't know what the movie is. But I'm doing one with Daniel and Mike from the Grind Bin, and I think February is supposed to be Yobo Month on the Grind Bin. Right? I February finally get like all Yobo my picks Month done. on the Grind. Wow, look at you! <laughs> so, so what is Yobo Month on the Grind Bin? Does it mean you do all the picks? It means that is finally, it, is, it, is there after... <laughs> Grind Bin episodes in which they mock your life? I mean, uh, well, it could be a toss-up between it. But finally, after like two and a half years of being a Patreon member, I'm going to get my second pick. Yeah. Oh, excellent. After everybody's had like 14 fucking picks. <laughs> I can't wait for that, Tim. Your picks are always great. <laughs> I don't know. I picked, uh, Mike said, you don't know how I went from that uh, Bollywood movie that you did, Faustus. Uh, Akira mm. Dalit? Yep, to yep. Uh, The Maddening on Daniel's podcast with uh, mm. <laughs> Burt Reynolds and the girl from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, uh, just... Angie Dickinson. I mean, I proposed a poll actually for Grind Pod, and one of my those is a, is another Bollywood movie. So we'll mm. see how that plays out. Uh, oh, that really long one, right? The one that's like four and a half hours. It's Sh- on Netflix. Sh- Sholay. It's only three. Yeah, and a half it's hours. on Netflix too, so yeah. everybody can see it. Yeah. yeah. And I will just say I would like to thank this week Anthony Khan, our latest um, person who joined up on the Patreon. Hey, thank so you, can you check Anthony. that out. At- yeah, he, he joined up just so he could suggest a movie for this month. So thank you very much. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, if you're not a member already, patreon.com slash bloodybits. We've got the blood bank where you can go and view all sorts of uh, degenerate material and get bonus episodes of this podcast with more degenerate material. Um, so I think with all that being said, that this is how I end it.